check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I got my first real six string. Boy, it out the five and dime. Played it till my fingers bled. Was a summer of 69. This morning, it is our salute to old Canada. Brian Adams, what a great song, Summer of 69. Who could forget? It was all America, the Summer of 69. The trek up to Woodstock. But who is it that created that great song, Woodstock by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, the Canadian Joni Mitchell? But then allowed Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Neil Young, her fellow Canadian, to actually play what became the theme of Woodstock. Yes, so Canada. Although you had nothing to do with the miracle Mets of 69 or Joe Namath uh, winning the Super Bowl against uh, the Colts or the landing on the moon and the first moonwalk. No, no, you had no part of that, oh, Canada. But, oh, hours ago, oh, the might of Canada, because all of a sudden, Trudeau Jr., tiptoes Trudeau Jr., as he was tipping through the tulips in Ottawa, although it's kind of cold for uh, tulips to be growing, but he just strikes me as so weak, so feckless. He decided that he would address the Canadian nation. No, not in coming on television, the CBC, no. 
he decided he would tweet out the fact that Canada had been following some unidentified flying object. I don't know if it was in, in the mighty Yukon that almost touches the tip of the North Pole. I don't know if it was in Hudson Bay, which has maybe two people living there. But Canada had spotted some unidentified flying object. And in tandem with the United States, tracked it down over Canadian space. Blasted it out of the sky. And then told President Joe Biden that it was the Canadian RCMP who would scour the earth below and bring all of the particulae to the United States for analysis at the FBI facility in Langley, Virginia, with the CIA. Yes, this was the cooperation of two great countries and two great nations that might well have been merged together. Forget that Canada is its own independent, autonomous country. They only have 40 million people. It's exactly what California has. Why do we not just seize Canada? As was the premise with John Candy. Remember Canadian bacon? He did it. Why can't we do it? Might as well. We protect Canada. It was our jet that shot down whatever that object was. By the way, why could not the Canadian Air Force have taken it out, huh? I ask all of you. Oh, by the way, where is... Uh, I got nothing here on my boards here. We're going to have to get uh, Avery uh, telephone... Uh, telephone... Uh, phone screener tonight. And our nighttime producer, by the way, he has been busy preparing that hour of analysis of Frank Morano. In the 4 to 5 o'clock hour, I was laughing so hard. Without a doubt, it is the funniest hour in all of radio. And this comes on the heel of Frank Morano, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, of the worst side of the other side of midnight, sitting with his hero, the groupie that he is, of William Shatner for two sit-downs. First, it was on the stage Friday night in Inglewood, New Jersey. I'm wondering if any of you happen to have been there. And then just hours ago at the Bergen Performing Arts Center. It was a wet dream come true for Frank Morano. Because he was sitting with Captain James T. Kirk. Canadian. Proud Canadian. They could have had Star Trek up there shooting it down, right? We'll get into that later on. We'll get into that later on. But I want all of you to know that early in my life, I was taught that the Canadians led and the Americans followed. I'll tell you why. Because in the 1960s, and I'm soon to be 69 on March 26th, the Canadian dollar was worth more than the American dollar. That's right. My Uncle Steve, who would travel back and forth from Detroit to Windsor to Hamilton and Toronto, would bring back Canadian dollars, and he would see, see, Curtis, they have stronger currency than we do, stronger currency than the American dollar. I said, how could that be, Uncle Steve? How could that be? 
And so I learned respect for the Canadians at a very young age. Many of you make fun of them. Trudeau Jr., I make fun of him too. He certainly doesn't put fear in the heart of any of our enemies, that's for sure. But I was raised like you were raised to bring in the new year. Not with Dick Clark in the American bandstand. No, 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 not at Times Square. No, 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 no. I was raised to bring in the new year with Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadian Band. This Guy Lombardo would be in the Waldorf Historia that is not that far from us. Owned by the Red Chinese, they are redeveloping condos. Oh, there it is. Yeah, Guy Lombardo, yes. Thank God you didn't play uh, the song he played on New Year's. You know, that would have been so gauche. But the great Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians that would entertain us on a regular basis. Remember, he had a variety show also. We learned the respect of the Canadians. And I've spent my fair share of time in Canada, as many of you know. I was up in Halifax in the Maritime Provinces when the hurricane hit. I was in Montreal. I was banned in Toronto, and the bad news was that finally, after years and years of being banned from Ontario, I had an invitation from the mayor, Tory. Who is going to have a sit down with me about the ever growing crime problems in Toronto that rival America's problems? And I was ready to say to him, hey, how could that be any different than America? Look, you, your mayor before you, Mayor Tory, was uh, Mayor Ford, who was a crackhead like Marion Barry in Washington, D.C. He was beaming himself up to Scotty in a glass pipe. His brother is now the head of the Ontario province. It was my time, ladies and gentlemen, to bring the guardian angels to Toronto. Mayor Tory said he would meet with me to try to incorporate the guardian angels into their public safety strategy. Why? Because 10 years ago, he was a talk show host just like myself. And when I was being banned from Ontario, that's right, you looked at my passport and you took out like a 10-page document. They flagged me. The humiliation to be sitting in immigration with Eritreans and Ethiopians ready to be deported and to watch Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, convicted felon, walk into Canada posting a $500,000 bond to do a concert for 72 hours. And me, they said, Slee, we are banned. Am I banned in Winnipeg? No. Am I banned in Regina? No. Am I banned in Saskatchewan? No. Am I banned in Alberta and Edmonton? No. Am I banned in Vancouver and Victoria? No. Am I banned in the Maritime Provinces? Am I banned in Halifax? No. You're banned in Ontario. And lo and behold, as I was doing this very program just 24 hours ago, My phone blew up with 416 numbers from Toronto, those that were inviting me to a city in peril because of American-style crime. Drive-by shootings, beatings, robberies, rapes, killings, things that I deal with all the time all over the world as the head of the Guardian Angels. I even told my wife that I'll update my passport. 
Hey, yeah. I'm heading to Toronto. Toronto, which has more Italians and better Italian food than New York. Lo and behold, Mayor Tory resigned. He had done a Bill Clinton in the midst of the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020 and thereafter. He was hooked up with a 31-year-old chicky-poo. His wife did not know. He did the right thing. He resigned. We know what Bill Clinton did. That means I'm not getting back to Toronto now. (laughs) But weren't you proud of Canada earlier today when Trudeau picked up the phone to Joe Biden and said, we've got an enemy aircraft high in the sky. And Joe Biden said, because we're partners in NAFTA, North American Free Trade Associate, let us mutually blow that damn thing out of the sky. Now, they won't tell us what it is, ladies and gentlemen. They won't tell us what it is. But I got to tell you, when I was a kid, as many of you baby boomers were kids, we remember what the Cold War was. We remember that Canada had our back because they could have backdoored us, the Soviet menace. They could have come in over the North Pole, right through Hudson Bay, right through the Yukon, and wage death and destruction against our nuclear arsenal in North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Iowa, near the SAC Air Force Command. They could have done that. But our Canadians stood up to them. When I say are, because they are our brothers and sisters in solidarity. Remember? After watching uh, Rocket J. Squirrel and Bullwinkle take on Boris and Natasha, it was quickly followed by Dudley Do-Right. And, oh, I wanted to salute the RCMP. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from... Dudley Do-Right. Yeah, get it right. Oh, the theme song. Although that's not what I wanted. I wanted the cartoon. But what the hell? I can't get everything in life. I'm now banned uh, in Ontario and Toronto again. See if you can uh, try to find maybe Avery uh, phone screener. Can find the theme to Dudley Do-Right RCMP and his favorite steed uh, over his girlfriend, Nell. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I was proud. Canada stood with us and blew that unidentified flying object out of the sky. Had no idea. Still haven't been told what the hell it is. And then we were warned just hours ago that apparently there... Another unidentified flying object, maybe it's a balloon, maybe not, somewhere over Montana. All of that in league with us having shot down that 
red Chinese menace that balloon over the, over the shore of South Carolina. But nobody seems to care about the red Chinese balloon that is floating all over South America. Remember, it was over Medellin and Cali Cartel in the Andean Mountains in Colombia. It then moved over to Bolivia and Uruguay and Paraguay. And apparently it's worked its way down to Chile. And nobody seems to give a damn about that balloon. How many of those tin horn dictators have we given aircraft to? Who have refused to go up there and take on the Chinese menace. Like the brave men and women of our United States Air Force and our Canadian brothers and sisters who were up there trailing whatever the hell that was high in the sky. For all I know, it was satellite junk. And then they left it to the Americans. That's right, our Tom Cruise, our ace, our Top Gun, to take it down. Oh, I was so proud. So proud. To be able to read the headlines, U.S. US jets down an object over Alaska. What the hell is an object? We know what the hell is. What, you can't tell us? We pay the taxes? What are we, schlubs? What are we? You told us it was a balloon originally. Oh, no, that's right. You didn't. Some newspaper in Montana published a story about that, and then you couldn't deny it. But now all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know if it's a balloon. I don't. What, what could it be? I don't know. What do you think I know? A drone? Our number is 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Let's go to Linda, who is calling from Ottawa itself, the capital of Canada, our brother and sister in solidarity. Unfortunately, though, a province that I am banned still in terms of visiting. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Linda. Well, first of all, I, I felt for a minute there that you didn't like Canada at all, and especially Ottawa. I I live in Ottawa, and I love it here. I don't like Trudeau. I don't like your president, but I do like Ottawa. I wish I, wish I could visit you in Ottawa, Linda. I am banned from going to Ontario. It's a shame because we would love to have you. You're a wonderful man. I, I listen to your show every time you're on. Thank you. But, Linda, maybe you can explain it to me. I can visit the Maritime Provinces, Prince Edward Island. I can visit Halifax. I can visit Quebec and Quebec City and Montreal. I can visit Regina and Winnipeg and Saskatchewan where the warm winds, the Chinooks roll through the wheat crop, into Alberta and Edmonton, over the Rocky Mountains to Vancouver with all of its drugs and yet it's such a beautiful city and homeless people, and then up to Victoria and smell the tulips. I can visit the Yukon, I can visit Hudson Bay, but I cannot visit you, Linda. In the province of Ontario, I cannot visit Hamilton, my favorite city there. I cannot visit Toronto nor Ottawa. And I want to extend my hand in friendship and solidarity to the Canadians who joined us to take out whatever that menace 
is or was. Do you have any idea, Linda, has there been any other news coming from your country as to what was floating high in the sky? (laughs) I have no idea. I do know this, that you live in New York, which is a place I would never go to because of all the crime. I love your show. I think you're a pretty good guy. And I'm glad that you can visit all those other provinces because I haven't even visited them. And my brother, I have a brother in Toronto, and I have one in B.C. Mm. The one in B.C. is a veteran. He, 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 he went to Vietnam. Uh, he's a Navy SEAL, and he's a great guy. And the other one in Toronto is just lovely. God bless. And then... On my behalf, Linda, if you could put pen and paper to hand, I was uh, I was not permitted to come to Ontario for many years by a previous head of your province. Now I know it's Ford, who is the head of the province, who is the brother of the crackhead uh, who had been mayor. But maybe you can write to him and ask me for a pardon. You know, ask, say, Kerr, why don't you give a pardon to Curtis? You know, we need him in Toronto. We need him in Jane Finch Corridor. We need him to deal with the growing crime menace there. Could, could you do that on my behalf, Linda, please? Uh, I will phone him. Oh, absolutely. Now, don't mention that I called his brother a crackhead. Well, he is a crackhead or was a crackhead. That's true. You, you can't deny the facts, so absolutely, I will call him. Please do, Linda. And remember, don't mention that his brother looked like Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live. Please don't say that. Well, he did. I know, and what a hot mess he was. You know, I will not only phone him, but I will have all my friends call. Oh, this is so good. I believe I will get a reprieve. I believe I will be able to go to Toronto, which I have gone on record as saying you've heard me say it again and again, Linda, to the duress of many Italians here in the five boroughs of the city of New York, that there are more Italians in Toronto and they have better Italian food. You've heard me say that, right, Linda? I have, and and, um, my uncle was Italian. Well, my uncle's wife was Italian, and yes, there's a lot there. Now, Linda, you have to admit that earlier today when you heard that your prime minister had called our president and they agreed to shoot down whatever the hell that was up in the sky, that it brought it brought to the forefront your patriotic pride in Canada, didn't it? No, I don't like Trudeau. I'm proud of Canada, but I'm not very prideful of Trudeau. Well, we can agree on that. I can't say that right now because he's based in Ottawa, which is in Ontario. So in order for your work with the um, prime minister of the province for to work for me, to get me a reprieve, I got to be nice to everybody until you're able to get me in. Well, I'm definitely going to do everything that I can, and I'll have all my friends, and I have quite a few, and I'll have my brothers. I'll have them all call or write or whatever. I think they'd probably call. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You see the solidarity? You see the working relationship? All is not for naught. They want me. They want me. I really do love Toronto. I really do. I love that city. And I can help. 
But I can't help if I'm banned. Now, why would I be banned in Ontario and not the other provinces? But I must tell you, getting that news today, that Canada was in unison with the United States in shooting down something. Don't we feel a little ridiculous not knowing what the hell it was that we shot down? I mean, think of it. We don't know what we shot down over Alaska. We don't know what we shot down over the Yukon. You can't tell me that members, uh, ministers in Canada of their Defense Department, small as it may be, and uh, our Pentagon, which is too big with all those generals who have a side hustle, to actually uh, create war so that the military-industrial complex can uh, make a lot of money. You can't tell me that after two shootings, high in the sky, 40,000 feet, right? That we don't know what the hell we were shooting. That's like saying, you didn't know what you were shooting? You know, that's when you're in court. I had no idea that I shot a man behind the door. Do we not know what we shot down? Come on. Why are they keeping this from the people of Canada and the United States? And the Inuit people need to know, the indigenous people. I met, yes, I did, in Vancouver, British Columbia, the Inuits. Yes, the Eskimos. Can I call them Eskimos? Of course not. Say that is not a politically correct term. The First Nation people, that's what they call their Indians. Can I call them Indians? Of course not. They have a right to know more than any other Canadian because they were there first. They came across the Bering Strait, right? Remember what we were taught in grammar school? How did the Indians, that's right, I said it, Indians. How did they populate North America first because they came across the Bering Strait when it would freeze over? That's before climate change and global warming. And they first populated Canada. They became the Eskimos, the Inuits, and built the snow houses that they lived in, the eagles. Can I say eagles? And ate blubber. Can I say that? And rubbed noses. Can I say that the Inuit people, a.k.a. the Eskimos, rubbed noses? Or was that all a Canadian urban myth? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, my God. I feel so good about this unification, that we're in solidarity with one another. I feel so great about this. Let's go to Tommy in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. There it is. Uh, Avery was uh, a call screener for Bo today, Bo Snurley, this afternoon, and he was hilarious. Um, I wish I had known about this Valentine's technique that he has. You know, you break up with the girl a few days before, and then you make up uh, a couple of days after, like maybe 15th or 16th or something. I could have saved a lot of money. And, uh, I, you know, I, I won tickets to that show with Frank Morano doing with Shatner over there tonight. And some of the station was supposed to call me and give me, you know, give me my tickets, and no one ever called. And I tried calling this afternoon, never got through. So uh, oh, that was the first wait, time wait, I ever wait. won anything on the radio. <laughs> wait a second. You mean to tell me the nefarious crew that works for Frank Morano 
That's Matt Blaze, clearly a fugitive from justice. The board operator, Ken, the runway model, who is a real stunad with a muscle between his ears. And Alex, the brown nose producer with his schnoz right up, Frank Moranos took us, did not get you the tickets that you won. You could have been there, sitting there at the Bergen Performing Arts Center and watching Frank Morano drool over himself as he was having a wet dream. <laughs> the ultimate reason to live. Shatner, just shy of being 92, and Frank said, oh, my God, if I had one wish in life, it would be to sit on that stage and have a conversation with Shatner for everybody to listen to. Not that my wife should be able to live a good life or my son Carmine or that there be peace and tranquility in the world. No, his one wish is that I get to interview Shatner. And he did, and they wouldn't let you go, Tommy. I guess not. This is a This is a shanda. Now, how do we know? And this is uh, why they're nefarious, because later on, we're going to get Frank uh, on tape admitting he stole my Chiquita banana. He had to do a complete confession. Or he wouldn't have been able to interview Shatner two nights in a row, Friday night. I believe uh, he was at the uh, in Englewood. And then, as you said just hours ago, the Bergen Performing Arts Center, he had to do his mea copas, mea copas, mea maxima copas, and admit he stole my Chiquita banana, or he would not have been able to go and interview Shatner. But to know that they stole the tickets that were meant for you is another reason that I must go on the attack against them. Tommy, I will not forsake you, Tommy. I will find out who took your tickets and who went in your place, Tommy. Thank you very much, Curtis. I appreciate it. The least I can do for somebody in Brooklyn. Thank you. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's 1-800-848-WABC. I'm so proud of our partnership. Although Canada, we shot dust whatever they call it, out of the sky. We don't even know what it is. Imagine, the day before we shoot something out of the sky in Alaska, they won't tell us what it is. We shoot something out of the sky in Canada, in the Yukon, they won't tell us what it is. Let's go to Warren. Uh, Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Warren. Well, Mr. Curtis, I appreciate you taking my call, but let's not give too much a toot for Canada. Because if it wasn't for the United States, there wouldn't be a Canada. We would have protecting them. It's our American taxpayers, predominantly. It was our money that shot that thing down. The only reason why he called is he wanted us taxpayers in the United States to pay to shoot that thing down so it didn't cost Canada a dime. Now, let me take you on on that subject, Warren, because I'm trying to get my way back into Ontario. You're not helping me. I want to salute Canada because at the very start of our nation, it was the intent of our founding fathers to take Canada, too, from the Brits. Are you aware of that, Warren? Absolutely. Are you aware that we invaded Quebec City and that's what caused the Brits with the air of vengeance to then come down and sack Washington, D.C. and burn it to the ground? Are you aware of that, Warren? Yes, I am. I'm very much, very, very much a history person. 
Are you aware? Are you aware that Benedict Arnold fled to Canada? Are you aware of that, Warren? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so now this is the final question. If you are a student of history, do you remember that fateful day when two men were rowed across the Hudson River to Weehawken, paced off with pistols, and shot at one another? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I am. And who ended up dying? Alex- oh, what was his name? Um- Alex- Alexander Hamilton. Everything in Patterson is named after him. The you know founder of the uh, founder of uh, no, it wasn't Thomas Jefferson. Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> anyway, and who was it who shot him? The vice president of the United States, who ended up dying in poverty on what island? Staten Island. Do you know where he fled to? Canada. That's right. So our history is tied into Canada. We cannot separate. Didn't you see that movie Canadian Bacon with John Candy? Who took all our draft dodges that left the United States? Why do you have to to be negative? Stand and salute the Canadian National Anthem as we join them in solidarity to shoot something out of the sky. We have no idea what it is, Warren. Don't you find that a bit odd that we shot something out of the sky and we don't know what the hell it is? Don't, don't tell me they don't know what they shot out. They wouldn't have shot it if they didn't know what they were shooting at. And notice how Trudeau Jr. knew that he was subordinate to the United States. He didn't even have a press conference. He didn't even come and address the nation. He tweeted the information out. Oh, God. When I go and see a hockey game in Madison Square Garden, I hate you, Jimmy Dolan. But to watch my beloved Rangers, and I'm in the stands, remember, what do they play in conjunction with one another, our national anthem and the Canadian national anthem. Oh, Canada, need I say anything more? You will not disparage our Canadian friends, Warren, especially since Linda is lobbying on my behalf to get me so that I can go back into Ontario where I am flagged and prevented from coming to save Toronto. I cannot let you do this. Now, Warren, you may be correct on most of what you said. I cannot admit that. Because I know the Canadian authorities in Ontario will be listening to the podcasts of this program. Because when Linda says he's a friend of ours, they'll say, what is your documentary evidence? She will say, listen to the program. He stood up for us. And he smacked down Warren. Because he understood that the strength of this union is greater than anything that exists in the world today. Not England, not France, not Germany, not even Poland, where the president will go on the anniversary of Putin's attempt to destroy Zelensky in the Ukraine. We stand with Canada at hockey arenas all throughout North America. As a young boy, I would turn on Channel 9 on a Saturday night, and who would I see? I would see Roger Bear, Hatfield, Rattel. I would see uh, Jim Nielsen, indigenous person, First Nation person on defense. 
With the captain, uh, Harrison, and, of course, Jockerman in that. They would always lose back then, but, you know, something. I was proud of the Canadians who played, who represented the New York Rangers. I was proud of Bobby Orr, the Boston Bruins. I was proud of Bobby Hull, who has just passed away, and Stan Makita of the Chicago Blackhawks. I was proud of Gordy Howe of the Detroit Red Wings. Maurice Richard and Beliveau of the Montreal Canadiens. And then, of course, the bravest man of all, Gump Worsley. Goalie of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who had collectively on his face 328 stitches because he played hockey without a mask. Is that not a man's man? I stand with you in solidarity because, remember... Later on, we're going to discuss how some wusses in New York State are going to try to take away Pop Pop Warner football. First they took Pop Warner football, then they'll take hockey away from us. That's what unifies the United States and Canada. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Space, the final frontier. You didn't see Captain James T. Kirk, did you, Canadian, shooting that object out of the sky from the Star Trek Command? No, you did not. Soon to be 92 years old, shouldn't he have received the call from Trudeau Jr. in Ottawa? Shouldn't he have left the stage of the Bergen uh, Performing Arts Center where Frank Morano was having orgasm just sitting on that stage with his hero. A form of idolatry was taking place. Frank Morano had said, gee, if I could spend five hours, six hours, I've, I've prepared 500 questions for my hero. And on bended knee, he said, sire, what do you need from me? We've had one call, Tommy, who did not get his tickets. And is pissed, and rightfully so. How many others out there attended that uh, that love fest? As if uh, Shatner were a guru and Frank Morano was a groupie, and he is a groupie for many Tulsi Gabbard, as you know. Uh, Selena Gomez, as you know. And also the senator in Arizona who wore that stupid yellow Big Bird outfit at the State of the Union address. And Frank Morano was thinking of ditching his uh, beloved Rachel for her. Why? Because she's bisexual. 
We'll get into that later on. But I see that nobody else has attended. This is what does this say? You mean to tell me Frank had William Shatner, Captain Kirk alone, all to himself? All to himself? I ask you, we always want to know where our allies are. Canada was there for us today to shoot down. We don't know. Can anybody out there explain to me what we have shot down back to back, belly to belly? First yesterday over Alaska, but Sarah Palin said she was looking out of her kitchen window where she could see Russia, and she saw debris falling down amongst the elk, the moose, and the brown bear. And yet we've not gotten any detailed report on what those, uh, what that debris was. And now another lack of transparency involving two, two, two countries, United States and Canada. Let's go to Laureen, uh, who's calling from Queens. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lauren. Hey, how are you? How do you think I am? I'm on top of the world knowing that our, our brothers and sisters in solidarity have put their hands across the border, separating them. <laughs> from the United States, and we shot something down. We don't have any idea what it is, but we shot it down, Lauren. Okay, but I have a question for you. I thought the Marshall Plan protected everyone, you know, South America and North America. So if we have balloons floating around from China, doesn't the Marshall Plan come into play at any point? The Marshall Plan, or is that manifest destiny? As indicated originally that we are responsible for everything in the Western Hemisphere from the tip of the Argentine and Chilean uh, subcontinent right before you hit Antarctica to the Yukon and Hudson Bay and the tip of the North Pole. You are absolutely correct. And we don't give a damn about that balloon flying over South America, do we, Lauren? Well, doesn't South America, aren't they involved in the Marshall Plan? That they can't say, like, what's going on and how come we're not being protected? I don't understand. Because they do not want to offend the red Chinese menace, Lauren. They are hedging their bet. Okay, so the Marshall Plan is is null and void at this point. Well, no. It doesn't mean anything. Let me tell you something. Marshall Plan, I'll never forget that. Watching air flight after air flight go into the ravaged Europe after World War II. As, as Truman was uh, allocating our money to rebuild Europe that we had bombed into the Stone Age along with our allies. That was the Marshall Plan that I remember, Lauren, but I will tell you this. We have not fulfilled Manifest Destiny. Manifest Destiny was put put forward by the Monroe Doctrine, you know what it said, that we white Christian peoples, superior to all others, had the responsibility to keep all enemies out of the Western Hemisphere, by all means necessary. There is a freaking balloon from Red China over Chile now. If I let you... If Allende was still the dictator in Chile, do you think that balloon would be flying? Yes. 
If Bolsonaro was still the dictator in Brazil, do you think that balloon would be flying over the Amazonian jungles? Yes. Because they don't want to offend the Red Chinese. Just in case. They are the winners, huh? Yeah, yeah, they're hedging their bets. Sad to say that we are accepting uh, people from their asylums, their prisons, as they pour forth and cross the Texas border and come here to New York at taxpayers' expense only to be reticketed to go to Canada. We do all that for them, and what have they done for us? Bupkis. I really, really am quite angry. I really am quite angry. Let's go to Carmine calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carmine. How you doing, Curtis? I'm not, I'm not doing too good now because now I'm thinking of South America, those traitors refusing to shoot down that red Chinese balloon. I know. My cousin was in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And he saw that uh, shot. And w- we don't know what's inside the balloons. Like you said, it's, uh, again, Biden and his, and his comrades are psychos. Uh, he's sitting on his hands and doing nothing. You know, uh, I got to tell you this, Curtis. I lived in uh, Lido Beach, and I was neighbor with, uh, with uh, Bernard McGurk. And I'll tell you what, what a gentleman. What a gentleman. May rest in peace. And uh, I heard, uh, I, don't, I don't listen to... Uh, Frank Morano show. He's a real mama Luke, you know, and that's, uh, I got to tell you this, Curtis, I heard you were up for uh, election for the radio hall of fame in America. I would vote for you five times. Well, thank you. Thank you, you know. Carmine. But that's of little importance right now. We're talking about what could be a world war. I mean, we shot something out of the sky. We don't even could have been a bird, could have been a pelican, right? What the hell? Why has our national... Look at this deal. What the hell is that? (laughs) I don't know what the hell that is. Why has our national security apparatus failed to tell us what we shot down? And now, likewise, the Canadians in Ottawa, a place that I want to be able to visit because I am banned from going to Ontario. I want to make that very clear. I love everything in Ontario. By the way, do you know Ontario subsidizes its Catholic schools? Yes! There is no separation of church and state. And since I get accused of bashing uh, the Catholic church, every opportunity I get, I'm like that. In this case, I am applauding the province of Ontario for supporting their Catholic parochial schools by giving them money. Yay, Ontario! Yes, yes. I so desperately must return. Carmine talks about the Radio Hall of Fame. By the way, he did indicate good news. His grandson was born, Bernard McGurk, nine pounds, I believe, with the same little dimple that uh, Bernard had. The legacy continues. Let's go to Al in Amityville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Yeah, good morning, Curtis. Curtis, listen, sorry to go off 
off the topic, but first of all, I'm only good when I call you. I'm just good for levity, not to add any intellect to the show. But I got two things for you, kind of important. The first thing is, I don't know if you're aware of this, and you know, you always say ditches end up in snitches, end up in ditches. But Frank Morano took your banana out of the refrigerator at work. Were you aware of that? We have tracked it down to his DNA. Yes, he was forced to acknowledge that on the air because we were looking at the videos of him in uh, one of the control rooms where I do my show prep, and it was clear that it was Frank Morano. He had his pocket protector on. He was scratching his head and his belly simultaneously and eating my Chiquita banana. Okay. All right, Curtis, two things. Two, uh, first of all, the next, you know what you do? You sh- what you do is make a, the next time you have something in there, take an X-Lax tablet. I, and you take a like, X-Lax tablet and implant it inside whatever it is. That'll fix his butt. If you know, uh, and don't tell him I said that. Curtis, the other thing is, it was on the news the other day. True story. I'm adding to it. Uh, what they're doing is with the prisoners and the penal system, um, what they're doing is uh, if they donate a kidney, true story, this is on the up, up, up and up. If they donate a kidney, they reduce their time. They'll get the sentence reductions. So I started thinking about it. Now, I was a correctional officer for 25 years, and the African-American prisoners were very well endowed. So what I heard was what they should do is, um, depending on their eligibility, you know, what they were sentenced to, if the judge ended up giving them like a a stiff sentence, they may be eligible to donate their manhood to to guys that were having uh, sexual uh, problems. You mean guys who wanted to prove that they were not suffering from erectile dysfunction? That's absolutely. And Curtis, let me just sneak one more minute. I appreciate it all the time. What do you mean you? Uh, what do you mean you appreciate it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop, stop chewing my shorts and pulling my chain. Oh. Well, I do, Curtis. Curtis. What are you, my? Oh, what are you, my freaking Maytag? I mean, if you were a correctional yeah. officer, CEO of school, you know damn well what Maytag means. Oh no, yeah, I do. Well, I do, but not in this particular. I used a, a bad choice of words. Yes, you Curtis. did, and I'm going to wash your mouth out with Felsnafter soap if you're a Gentile, and Rokish laundry soap if you believe in Hashem. Enough of that. We're dealing with such serious issues about shooting stuff out of the sky that we don't even know what it is. We know that we had a partner earlier today in Trudeau, Twinkle Toes Trudeau in Ottawa. Please remove that from the podcast. I don't want the authorities in Ontario to hear this. I'm trying to work my way back into Ontario. But we also must find out What happened with the showing of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, just hours ago at the Bergen Performing Arts Center, where apparently Frank Morano is still on the stage, mumbling and stumbling before a cardboard cutout of William Shatner, who has left the stage to leave Frank in the midst of his idolatry and his worship of just another man.
another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. You'd think it would have been a much better situation if William Shatner, better known as Captain James T. Kirk, would have resumed his role as commander of the Starship Enterprise and gone into battle for his nation of Canada against objects that we have no idea what the hell they are. The back-to-back, belly-to-belly have been shot out of the skies, first in Alaska and then in the Yukon. And apparently there may have been another object somewhere over Montana where there are more bison than people. Yes, having been to Montana, way more bison than people. I have asked the question of our audience... Tommy got ripped off by the Frank Morano crew and never received his tickets as he was promised he won a contest. To go to either of the showings, Friday night in Inglewood, New Jersey, and just hours ago at the Bergen Performing Arts Center, where Frank Morano apparently was slobbering on himself because he was in the midst of a, a wet dream. This was, as he said, if someone told me I was terminally ill and I could have only one adult make a wish, it would be to talk with William Shatner about Star Trek and his life. I'm a fan, and I'm a groupie of his personality. You mean to tell me none of you out there went to... To either of the shows? Your life so meaningless that you couldn't scrape the barnacles off your backside? Get your rear in gear and go see Frank asking William Shatner, Captain Kirk questions. I mean, the guy was like fulminating over this for weeks. Oh, my God. I'll have a chance to be with William Shatner, a dream come true. If I die tomorrow, it's all worthwhile. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Kenny in the location where our mayor, Eric Adams Swaggerman, uh, has a condo, apartment 22H with Tracy. And below that, on the 21st floor, is his girlfriend. What a menage a trois that is. But anyway, uh, Kenny, uh, were you at any of the showings of... Uh, Captain Kirk with Frank Morano. Curtis, what's going on? Let me tell you, we, my wife, myself, and my son went tonight. It was a Rathacon, old school movie, a lot of fun. My son never seen it. Then William Shatner, this guy is amazing, 91 years old, the energy he had. He's telling jokes, 
cracking them left and right. And your man, the funniest thing, and I swear to goodness, I have it on video. William Shatner sneezed into a tissue. And I swear your man took the tissue and put it in his pocket. William Shatner said, you got to keep that tissue, that snotty tissue? And Frank says, yes. <laughs> I'm not making it up. Oh, my God, Kenny. You all about, you're, you're kidding, Kenny. He, he took the Kleenex tissue that, um, that Captain Kirk had expirated into, and he stuffed it in his pocket? Yes. Ask him about it, please. It was hilarious. The audience was on the floor. He kept the tissue that he sneezed in. <laughs> Let me tell you, William did... Shatner, very impressive. The man was on cue for his age, the energy. I only wish I could be like that at that age. Amazing. Now, Kenny, you have uh, you have extolled the virtues of uh, age with Shatner, but you have not reviewed Frank Morano's performance uh, in asking him questions. And Shatner was walking circles around him. <laughs> the boy was sitting in the chair, didn't even move. He was asking questions that the audience had gave before the show. So that's what Frank, your boy, was doing besides picking up dirty tissues. So he was like a batting practice pitcher before a baseball game. Handing out the towels so when you come out swinging the bats, he wow. was on the bench. Curtis, I'm telling you, William Shatner was amazing. Walking up and down the stage, cracking jokes, all on improv, and your boy sat in the chair. I think he moved once just to get the tissue after he sneezed <laughs> in it. <laughs> Hold on. So he didn't get to ask any of these precious questions? He was answering the questions that the that the people filled out on the cards before you go into the theater. By the way, uh, my wife says hello. Uh, she loves your cat. She's always calling Miriam. Oh, my God. That's but wait a second. He, I'm reading in the advance. It was a big uh, article about Frank Morano's dream come true. He said that he had labored for five hours to come up with questions for William Shatner. So they were none of Frank Morano's questions? They were the audience's questions? Yes, they were the audience questions. We filled them out before we went in. He might have threw his own questions in and played it off like it was the audience and they didn't get a good response. You know he did that. We, you know he, he, did he, that. he read the questions from the audience. You know what I'm saying? So he, he might have, like, if he got a laugh, maybe he might have said under his breath, that was my question. So but all I can tell you this, we filled out the questions previous to the show. Again, William Shatner, phenomenal. So what you're telling me, Kenny, is that somebody right off the street could have been put on the stage with the cue cards and could have asked Shatner the questions. Question. I could have did it. So you're telling me that all you needed to do that job was just to be able just to, to know read. how to read. To be able to oh, read. Oh, how to read the cue card. Not necessarily write, but read. Anonymous. And, and they, and they could have did that. sat there and read cue cards all day from the movie Big Daddy. Wow. All he did is read. He didn't, he didn't improv. He sat there. William Shatner walked all around the stage. Phenomenal. Yeah. I, I, more impressed by him after I see He used to love he, Denny Crane. He said he went over every interview Shatner ever did. Then he said he went over every movie Shatner ever did. And every interview Shatner ever gave. He said he went over everything Shatner did, and he had five hours of questions. Well, I'm telling you right off the bat, we wrote the questions down. He read them. Now, question, uh, Kenny, how long uh, did Shatner uh, stay on the stage for? Well, the movie 
started at approximately 8. It was over a little before 10, uh, excuse me, a little before about 9.50. Uh, an hour and a half, the man was didn't even take a breath, not even a drink of water, just rocking it. Boom. He was phenomenal, 91 years old. Your boy just sat in the chair. Oh, man. Improv skills are not his thing. No. I, I, <laughs> I think, uh, could it be, Kenny, that Frank uh, Morano, because he, he idolizes uh, Captain Kirk, was just like frozen in fear, you know, nervous uh, in his presence? I would say so. There was a puddle by his shoes. He definitely <laughs> just stood there, no doubt. But William Shatner, phenomenal. Wow. Absolutely. Now, was it a packed house? Oh, yeah. Sold out. Wow. No doubt. Wow. And yeah. that poor Tommy from Brooklyn got ripped off. He couldn't even go. He won the tickets, and they didn't even get it to him. Wow, he missed could it. You, could, you, could you see the look on Rachel's face when he dove for the used tissue on the, on the floor? Who Rachel is, but he, oh, it was that's, it was, that's Frank's it wife. Was a table between them, and your, your boy handed him a tissue, and like he, you know, uh, William sat to put it down, and he picked it up with the quickness, like he was looking for change on the floor. Oh, it was phenomenal, man. and and Shatner was like taken back. Well, what do you do with that snot, Greg? Tell him keeping it. <laughs> oh my God! Do I make myself clear? It is. It is sad, Kenny. I, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs that our fellow colleague here read your questions, all of the audience's questions, and then his only role there was to take the Kleenex that uh, William Shatner had blown his schnoz into and then deposit it in his pocket so that he could take it home and put it on his mantle. Wow. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Robert, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robert. Good, good morning, Curtis. So you've been all over Canada. Ten provinces and three territories. Sound like you've been, have you been to St. John's and Newfoundland? Well, I've been to Newfoundland, yes. I've been to Halifax. I've been to uh, Prince Edward Island of the Maritime Provinces. Right, and Quebec, and uh, Toronto, and Winnipeg. I mean, in Manitoba, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and British Columbia. How many of the territories? Well, it sounds like you've been to the Yukon. No, I haven't been to the Yukon. I haven't been to Hudson Bay, no. Hudson Bay, okay. There are three territories up there. I've been to all ten provinces and three territories. I've been to Iqaluit which is the capital of Nunavut that nobody knows about, mm. uh, because it was, well, it was given over to the Inuit, the indigenous folk up there, as a territory within the Northwest Territory, whose capital is Yellowknife. And I've been in Yellowknife when the temperature was 60 below, and it felt like 120. But in any case, little history lesson for you. Canada was invaded twice from the United States, officially. Uh, 1775, Benedict Arnold led the invasion to try to take Quebec City. Uh, was a miserable failure. Uh, he withdrew. Uh, the next time we invaded Canada was 1813, and if it hadn't been for a young woman named Laura Secord, who, by the way, now dots the boxes of chocolates and ice cream up there, the United States might have taken the entire Niagara Peninsula up there. In fact, they... Laura Secord is considered a national heroine up there. And uh, we tried to bring democracy to Canada. During the 1840s, 
during the beginning of the Manifest Destiny when the first man who wrote about Manifest Destiny was a reporter for the New York uh, Democratic Review in July of 1845. His name was John L. O'Sullivan. He wrote that it was our duty to rule from sea to shining sea, which included, of course, Texas, Mexico, uh, uh, California, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and all the Southwest territories that we got from Mexico in the Mexican-American War. There were Manifest Destiny people who said, let's go further. Let's take Mexico. Let's stay with some who wanted to go to Canada. Some wanted Cuba. Some wanted Nicaragua. That's why we got filibusters. Uh, William Walker went down there with 33 guys, took over the whole country for about three months. And uh, he, he, he eventually left. 1876. Oh, during the Civil War. It's very interesting. The Confederacy launched an invasion from Canada into Vermont. Late fall of 1864, the war was going very badly for them. They raided a bank in Albany, Vermont, and actually walked away with $60,000. They needed hard currency. Uh, earlier in the war, a bunch of Irishmen known as the Fenians wanted to uh, take Canada from the Brits, or at least cause the Brits a lot of trouble, because remember, the Irish question was going, and there were a lot of Irish who were so anti-British that they figured, okay, they invade, they'd invade Canada. That didn't work too well. Now we go to 1876. Uh, you mentioned once Custer in Montana. By the way, you do have to correct you on one point. When Custer died at Greasy Grass or Little Bighorn or whatever you want to call it, he was not a general. He was a lieutenant colonel. Now, the reason they all refer to him as General Custer is because it is a tradition that you refer to a man by the highest title he had if he served in the army. And it is true that during the early years of the Civil War, George Armstrong Custer was a brevet brigadier general, temporary. He was in charge of the Michigan Brigade, and he uh, distinguished himself against uh, Nathan, not Nathan, for uh, Jeb Stewart, and his invincibles defeated the Battle of Franklin. And after the Civil War, he was the youngest general, by the way, 24 years old. They call him the boy general. But he was reduced in rank to lieutenant colonel. So that when he died at Little Bighorn, he was a lieutenant colonel. Now, after Crazy Horse and Gaul and Crow King and Sitting Bull and all the rest of the boys defeated Custer at uh, the Little Bighorn, the press clamored for us to chase Sitting Bull out of Canada, because Sitting Bull uh, went with his Hunk Papa Sioux over the medicine line into Canada and lived with the Cree for four years. And finally, uh, in 1881, he was convinced by various circumstances to come back. He surrendered to American forces in Montana. But in 1876, the press actually clamored for an invasion of Canada. Wow, that was like the History Channel there. Here it is. We were talking about Frank Morano taking the snotty Kleenex that William Shatner had put back on the table, and Shatner couldn't believe that Frank would keep it. And then we go into a dissertation about all the times that we were crossing the border into Canada. Do you mind telling me what this is all about, mister? 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to John, who's calling from Brentwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, John. Yes, hello, Curtis. It's great to be talking with you. I wanted to let you know, I was the guy who called in to Frank Morano's show a couple of weeks back, and I was the one who told him about the Shatner show. Now, he didn't know anything about that show, and I happen to be one of the biggest concert nuts of all time. And I wanted to tell you about, you know, he was like, oh, wow, I didn't know anything about that. And he asked me what day, and he says, oh, great, it's on a Friday night, okay? And uh, it was Friday and Saturday, and he says, I'm off, I'm off on Saturday. I think it was so, I told him, I told him the date. So the reason why, another part of this is a bit, another great part, I think you're going to, the, the people are going to be very interested in, is when you brought up about Bo Surgley and Mickey, Nicky Dolans, what people, most people don't know is Nicky Dolans is going on tour. He's going to play on April 11th at the Paramount. He's doing all the monkeys music. And you said they were bigger than the Rolling Stones and bigger than the Beatles at the time. You were right. Yes. What happened? What happened to John? I'm still here. Oh, okay. Uh, I got a little yeah. discombobulated there. Uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry. You know, the Mickey Dolan's tour is on the 11th and the 13th. He's doing all the monkeys music. And to top that off, the Rolling Stones, who was the competition to that, this is going to be like a cultural war. The Rolling Stones tour in the United States, 60th anniversary, is going to start at Soldier Field on June 30th. That's where the show's going to start. This is this is this is going to be in that. The tickets are going on sale in in uh, mid March, and they're going to be at MetLife Stadium. Mick Jagger's 80th birthday is going to be Jet, MetLife Stadium on July 26th, 1972. Mick Jagger's birthday was at Madison Square Garden, and Stevie Wonder was there. First show I ever saw in my life was in 1963 at Freedomland. My parents took me there by, uh, by Yankee Stadium. I was a little tight. And at the Moon Bowl, I saw Stevie Wonder. So Stevie Wonder was at the Mick Jagger's 29th birthday in 72, which my brother and his wife went to. And if you go on to YouTube, you can see the video of that, of the, of the end show when they brought the cake out with the Stones. So the Stones 80th is going to be in New York. It's going to be one of the It's going to be. And to top it off, the Stones tour starts in June 30th. It's going to end at the end of September, and they're going to come back to end the tour in New York. They're going to play at Mad- They're going to end the tour at the new UBS Arena. And at 60th anniversary, 61 years, this is 60 and counting. So, so, so Jagger's 80th is going to be in New York, and that's going to be a huge show. I was at the Paul McCartney show last year. I'd met Life Stadium, and Bruce Springsteen showed up, and he has that song Murder Incorporated, which Sid played on his show, because Sid is a big Springsteen fan. He played that on his show a couple of days ago. Now, the other song the Rolling Stones have is Heartbreaker with your 44. If you play that song, that goes into what's going on in New York City right now, okay? And so I'm, I'm bit, all of this is intertwined for the whole summer. There's going to be a cultural war coming up in. And one other thing. Whoa, 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 to- hold on, John. The war I'm engaged in with Bo Snurdly is, is that I said that the Monkees in 66, 67 sold more 
albums than the Beatles and the Rolling Stones together. That was my contention. Here we come. Walk down the street. And Bo Snurdly and James Golden refuses, notice there are two people in one, refuses to apologize to me because I have, with documentary evidence, proven that in those two years of 1966-67, the Monkees sold more albums than both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones combined. I'm still waiting for my apology. I'll be waiting a month to Sundays. And by the way, their opening act, as I have mentioned many times before, at the um, Forest Hills uh, Tennis Stadium... There's a young black man with his guitar from Seattle, Jimi Hendrix, and he was booed off the stage because they said, we're here for the monkeys. Now for some black guy playing guitar. Our number is 1-800-848-9222 as we salute Canada. It's 1-800-848-WABC. Side of Midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Question, what was falling from the skies of Canada into the Yukon? What did we shoot down the day before? What did we shoot down over the skies of Alaska? We've yet to be told. But I will tell you this. The unification that I saw hours ago between our country and Canada filled me with patriotic pride. A weak president here, Joe Biden, stumbling and fumbling, reached out to Twinkle Toes Trudeau in Ottawa and somehow collectively decided to shoot something out of the sky over Canada. It almost reminded me of that scene. Remember in Independence Day, the Will Smith movie before he went Mashug Ubats crazy? Remember when the president gave a speech before the battle, bringing everyone together? Oh, if only we had a president like this. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that... Words should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression or persecution. But from annihilation, we're fighting for our right to live. 
to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. The day we shoot something out of the sky. Yeah, you see, if if Joe Biden had given us that kind of a speech, we don't know what we shot out of the sky, but we shot something out of the sky. Oh, would have felt so good, right? Joe Biden with Twinkle Toes Trudeau. Oh, that's like weak with weak. <sighs> that's like iron poor blood. <sighs> Well, they tried. Our number is one 9222 Let's go to Bobby calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Curtis, what about the Archies in 69? They were the biggest sellers, too. The Tonight Show with Frank was great. You know who that was? That was Steve from Manhattan. He tried. You know, he tried. A little bit too throaty. He's got to practice a little bit. You know, it's too easy to spot. And he understood that if uh, anybody had uh, called Avery, we'd put him up if they said that they had uh, appeared just hours ago at the Bergen Performing Arts Center, with Frank Morano on stage, and uh, Captain uh, James T. Kirk of Star Trek. But he's got to get better. Yeah, next time he calls, please, Avery, let him know. He's got to work it. Work it, man. He was... Do I make myself clear? Yeah, you make yourself clear. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Scott, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Scott. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I don't know if your younger uh, audience is aware of why the uh, record sales for the Beatles took the nosedive in 66. At a press conference earlier that year, one of the Beatles said to the press, we're more popular than Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, people stopped buying their albums. That's what led to that. And the Monkees had just begun their TV show that fall in 66. So by the following year, you know, they, they, weren't, uh, they weren't doing much sales. But you have to admit, to actually supersede the combined efforts of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in 66 and 67 in terms of album sales. Nobody would believe that when you told them that. Nobody would believe it, Scott. When I told James Golden, uh, Bo Snurdly, that he said I was lying. I was making it up. Well, well, you know, to, uh, I guess for, uh, what do they call it? Then they came up with the Paul is dead. And Paul is dead is what boosted sales again. Uh, I think it was, oh, I am the walrus. If you played it backwards, you'd hear Paul is dead. That's basically what happened. I mean, the the, the monkeys, it seemed, came from out of nowhere. So. No, I appreciate that. I just wish you would uh, convey that to James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snardley, who thinks he is uh, 
combination of Frankie Crocker at the old WBLS and Vaughn Harper of the Quiet Storm. He's not. And by the way, somebody mentioned that the biggest song of 69 was Sugar, Sugar. It was, it was the, the last big song, the last week of the year. Do you know what was the biggest song the last week of 1979? It also dealt with the nutrients. No, what was it? The Pina Colada song. Ah, very similar to the Chiquita Banana song of uh, Carmen uh, Miranda, right? I guess. Oh, yeah, we're going to be playing that song later on in in honor of the fact that I have uh, determined that Frank Morano had stolen my Chiquita Banana that was... uh, Placed in my broadcast facility where I do my show prep. He purposely did that. Scott, he will pay the price for stealing my Chiquita banana and taking the snot-filled Kleenex of uh, Captain Kirk, a.k.a. William Shatner. God only knows he'll probably auction it off on eBay. Guys, you mind telling me what this is all about, mister? The guy's a real sickola, Frank Morano. He really is. Imagine the guy blows his nose into a piece of Kleenex and Frank Morano takes it and shoves it in his pocket and thinks he's going to put it up on eBay and make all kinds of money. And There's no way he eBays that tissue. That tissue will be his most precious possession until he, he won't be buried with that tissue. He'll try to create another Shatner later on through technology <laughs> from the DNA on that tissue. What do you think is that has led to his obsession with Captain Kirk, a.k.a. William Shatner? What, what do you think it is, Avery? Well, off the top of my head, I'm guessing being a rather uh, peculiar young lad, I don't think he and his father had anything in common. I think he spent a lot of time in front of that TV and I think uh, Captain Sp- um, Captain Kirk raised him, and then that's where the the tie came in. So instead of his father Carmine, who, when you look at Carmine and you look at Frank, you said, "That's not your father, Frank." Right? It's just no way. <laughs> no way. I mean, uh, his father Carmine is like a, an athlete. He's like a decathlon uh, champion. You know, he's just completely different than Frank. So in reality. Frank is so different in personality in all different ways that you're right. He might have been raised by by Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise on television, and he he viewed him as his father, an extension of his father. Yeah, I bet, and not just Kirk, but a lot of Kirk, but a lot of other generals on ships and sheriffs on other shows and coaches on other shows, basically TV. I think so. I think you uh, really uh, hit it there. I've never seen anybody with such an obsession like this before, and he's like, he becomes a stalker. Hey, if, if you had to bet, do you think he knows more about Shatner or his father? Oh, Shatner. <laughs> Without a doubt. He studies Shatner. He watches the programs over and over. He wears his uh, his headphones. You know, his Dr. Dre headphones, and he has Shatner on replay. The albums, they're like... The albums, where he just talks over music. Yeah. 
He plays it over and over. He has an absolute obsession with Captain Kirk. I'm telling you, that's that's my point. There you go. <laughs> he don't have his father. He don't have a, t- a tissue with his father's not on it. So this could be like having a surrogate father, right? Oh, I guess his father might be the surrogate father. <laughs> his father's the provider. Shatter's his father. Oh, my God. I never thought of that because the guy is like Frank size, Shatner. Yep. They might look. <laughs> hey, I don't know. Did his, did his mother ever go? No, nah, I'm not going to do that. Go ahead. We should actually put their pictures side by side. And C. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Side of Midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. After the turn of a century in the clear blue skies over Germany came a roar and a thunder men have never heard like the screaming sound of a big a man in a plane, Baron von Richthofen was his name. Eighty men tried, and eighty men died. Now they're buried together on the countryside. Then 20, 30, 40, 50 or more, the bloody red Baron was rolled up the score. Eighty men died, trying to end that spree of the bloody red Baron of Germany. Wow. How far we've come, ladies and gentlemen, from World War One. We're on both sides. You had aces, whether it was the Red Baron or Snoopy. And part of their job was to shoot down balloons that were doing surveillance. They were actually uh, trying to get a handle on uh, where the lines were drawn uh, between the trenches and whether any uh, land had been gained or lost in the process. So you say to yourself, they were shooting down balloons in World War I on the French side, on the English side, and then obviously on the German side. And you would actually see guys up in these balloons, and they would send pigeons out with information uh, once they had detected, mov- detected movements of troops, and it was the pigeons that actually uh, got the information back to uh, headquarters uh, where... Generals would obviously work on it because they didn't have the kind of communication that they have today. Everything was pigeon carried. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. In fact, um, let's listen to our spokesperson for the National Security uh, Agency of the United States, Kirby, in which he wasn't really being very helpful. Because he really said uh, nothing. He said, we really don't know much about what the hell we were shooting out of the sky. We're calling this an object because that's the best description we have right now. Uh, we do not know who owns it, uh, whether it's a whether it's state-owned or, or, or corporate-owned or 
privately owned. We just don't know. Uh, we don't. We don't know. As I said, state-owned. We don't know if it's state-owned, um, and we don't uh, understand the full purpose. We don't have any. Comp we don't have any information that would confirm a stated purpose for this object. Um, we do expect to be able to recover uh, the debris uh, since it fell not only within our territorial space but on what we what we uh, believe is is frozen uh, water. So. Uh, it, uh, a recovery effort will be made, um, and uh, uh, we're hopeful that it'll be successful, and then we can learn a little bit more about it. Ladies and gentlemen, you think that our government doesn't know what the hell it is that they were shooting out of the sky? Did you hear that mumble-jumble? And if so, what do you think it was that they shot down out of the sky, or did they shoot anything down in the sky? This is just a case of propaganda to try to make it seem like our government and the Canadian government are actually doing something to keep the red Chinese menace out from spying. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me hear that cut again, Kirby. Simple question is, what did you shoot out of the sky? You would have thought that the guy could have answered that and yet listened to the mumbo-jumbo Boy, it's like uh, infectious from the president who stumbles and mumbles to the spokesperson for the National Security Agency who is stumbling and bumbling and not being able to tell us what our tax dollars are going towards in terms of shooting items down in the skies. We're calling this an object because that's the best description we have right now. Uh, we do not know who owns it, uh, whether it's a whether it's state owned or or, or corporate owned or privately owned we just don't know uh, we don't we don't know as i said state owned we don't know if it's state owned um and we don't uh understand the full purpose we don't have any comp we don't have any information that would confirm a stated purpose for this object um we do expect to be able to recover uh the debris uh, since it fell not only within our territorial space but on what we what we uh, believe is is frozen uh, water, so uh, it, uh, a recovery effort will be made, um, and uh, uh, we're hopeful that it'll be successful, and then we can learn a little bit more about it. The hell is he talking about? Then he was asked to compare the balloon to what, for no other purpose of description, is being called a unidentified flying object, a UFO. Its appearance like the Chinese aircraft? No, it was it, it was much much smaller than uh, the spy balloon that we took down last Saturday. Um, the way it was described to me was roughly the size of a small car, as opposed to uh, a payload that was like two or three buses size, right? So much much smaller, um, uh, and um, and there and not of the same not not. Uh, no, um, no significant payload, if you will. Could it have been a flying car? What the hell was it? This guy is not being helpful at all. Hey, come over here and look at this deal. What the hell is that? <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is. How could you not know? Forty-eight hours later, what you shot down. 1-800-848-9222. And then he said, well, we're not ruling anything out. We haven't ruled anything in or out. Um, we, we, and that, uh, that's why we're calling this thing an object. Um, and 
You just called it a balloon. You, you misspoke there. I'm sorry. It's not a yes. I'm sorry. You, you guys have. You can't say it's a balloon either. You guys have me with balloon yeah. on the brain right now. <laughs> this was this was an object. Let me just clarify. I'm not classifying it as a balloon right now. It's an object. We're still trying to learn more from it. That it landed on on what on water that is frozen could help us assist, make it easier for us. To, to try to recover some of the debris, uh, U.S. Northern Command is examining what the possibilities for that are. It's an object. What the hell is that? Let's go to Ray in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ray. Yeah, I wanted, I know you brought up the uh, football thing with the kids. I want to comment on that. But first, I think maybe... They are so incompetent, this government. I think they shot down the Goodyear balloon headed to the Super Bowl. I think that's what it might have been. Uh, you know, what else could it be, right? Uh, and it sort of reminds me of that movie back in 1977, Black Sunday. Bruce Stern, pilot of the Goodyear blimp with a PLO terrorist, female terrorist. The intent was to crash it into the crowd. I think in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl and kill as many people as possible. And so you think they may have shot down the Goodyear blimp? I mean, they, they're acting like they don't know what they shot down. I, give me a break. They, they got to know. Well, Biden's telling them, shoot down anything now, probably, because I don't want to look bad, you know? So that's sort of like when you go out to the country and you say, well, what did you go shooting? And I just shot anything, right? Yeah. Man. I, I also, I want, you were talking, you know, they want to ban the football for the kids under the age of 12. Now, my son played from the time he was eight, nine years old, the flag football up to high school football. He just had a senior year, South Plainfield, New Jersey. They went undefeated in the regular season, had a great year. But I watched a lot of his games, and he also played soccer. I saw 10 times more kids go down on the field in soccer than the football until, you know, they got into high school. There was a little more, you know, a couple of – but not that many injuries at all. You know, I saw tons of kids going down on the soccer field. We're going to be talking about that uh, up next in the next hour. Because during the State of the Union address, the President Joe Biden said a few times, as my football coach used to say, lots of luck in your senior year. I don't know what the hell that means. Anybody out there can translate this? As my football coach used to say, lots of luck in your senior year. Well, I never finished my senior year. I got kicked out of high school, as many of you know. Brooklyn Prep, the Jesuits, shined their boots on my backside, kicked me to the curb, and I never looked back. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Any of you have any idea what the hell we might have been shooting out of the sky first in Alaska and then the very next day over the Yukon in Canada? 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Chris calling from the Catskills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Uh, I'm not thinking it could have been a re- real UFO because if uh, alien UFOs, they have technology where they can block being shot down from what I've seen on television. Now, you said from what you've seen on television. Now, uh, well, like you watch like the History Channel and they might show the history of UFOs. 
and there was a well-documented incident uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, where an Iranian royal air pilot was flying over Iranian airspace, and he encountered an alien UFO, supposedly, and he locked on it with his weapons, and they had some sort of device apparently that didn't allow him to engage his equipment on the on the, his plane. Hmm. And I know what Biden was getting at, I think. The football season of your senior year in high school ends in the fall, and then you have your remaining classes through spring until you graduate. But you're not sure. No, I'm not 100% sure, but that's what I would think it means. Apparently, he's used that uh, phrase many, many times over the years. And uh, you would think by now some reporter would have asked him, what the hell does that mean? As my football coach used to say, lots of luck in your senior year. But could you imagine if these putzes did shoot down an alien UFO and now we got War of the Worlds coming up on us? Could you imagine? Ah, well, now, now, you're making it very interesting, Chris. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Since our government and the Canadian government together are not letting us know what was shot down over Canada, nor what was shot down over Alaska, what do you surmise it to be? Or did they just make it up to act like, you know... They were tough. They were doing something. And we'll never find out what supposedly the objects were. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Joe calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, how are you, Curtis? You guys are great. You had me laughing. My cheeks were killing me about that tissue. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Imagine this. And we've had now two sightings of Frank Morano on the stage, uh, Earlier uh, on Saturday night, this was his dream come true to be able to sit opposite uh, his uh, hero, Captain Kirk. And uh, two of our callers said that when uh, Captain Kirk asked for a tissue, a Kleenex, out of the box, Frank provided it. And then immediately when uh, Captain Kirk, uh, William Shatner, wanted to dispose of it, Frank picked it up and stuffed it in his pocket. That's unbelievable. What the? What the hell? Why do you think? Money. Why do you think he would be doing that, Joe? That's 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 really bizarre. I don't know. But uh, I wanted to ask you guys if you were aware of the other sighting today around two o'clock, and uh, NORAD picked it up over Canada. What happened with that? Well, they said that was over Montana, Canada, and Montana, and then all of a sudden they said, "Well, nothing more." So you see, we're the schmucks, we're the putzes. We pay all the taxes. We have these uh, defense agencies that supposedly have modern-day technology that with a satellite, they could find you picking your nose right in front of your house, but they don't have a satellite that actually picked up video or pictures of what it was they were shooting out of the sky? Yeah, aren't they supposed to know what they shoot at before they shoot at it? And don't they have video of it? I know. So what is it that they're acting like uh, so evasive about this? Well, there might be some art paintings. I got to tell you, it's not good, Joe. 
We pay the bills. We pay the freight. We pay the taxes for a national uh, defense agency supposed to keep us hip to what's going on out there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. What in Lord's name do you think they were shooting out of the sky? Because they, they won't fess up. 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Dan calling from the province that has banned me for 20 years, entering. I'm desperately trying to get back in, Dan. French Canadian, uh, Buchanan, 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 Buchanan. Uh, that was so weak. This guy lives his life to do exactly this. Oh, my God. His life is so meaningless. My God, after all these years, Avery, I mean... I realize he calls you up, and I realize you uh, you entertain him, you know, because he's a, a bit of a kukalamunga out there. Let's go, if we can, to uh, Paul, patiently waiting on the line in Hartford. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Paul. Kurt is the best. Um, you know, getting back to what you said, uh, a little bit away from Canada, but the, Amer- the, the military, the American military war, machine knows exactly what they do and getting to what you said today i was listening to you this afternoon a trump i'm not a trump fan but he did not start a war one of the few presidents in recent times that did not start a war now with ukraine um bill clinton signed the belgrade accord with nato saying that ukraine would get rid of the nukes from the old soviet union had we done that and allowed Ukraine to be part of the NATO, there would be no war today, I think. The American military machine knows what they're doing. And I think it's just crazy. The world is in chaos because this Ukraine war, which could have been stopped had America and NATO did not lie to Ukraine. No, I concur with uh, what you're saying. The Ukraine had the third largest nuclear supply of weapons in the world even more than the Red Chinese. And uh, Bill Clinton's strategy was that we would buy the nuclear weapons, decertify them, and essentially take them off the marketplace so that they might not end up in the hands of terrorists or on the black market or be sold by uh, crooked Ukrainians, of which there are many of them. I understand it from that point of view, Paul. But the Ukraine not having uh, nuclear weapons made it very easy for Putin to invade them. We saw that with Muammar Gaddafi there in Libya. Muammar Gaddafi got bamboozled by Bush 43 into thinking, oh, we're now friends, we're not enemies. And Bush 43 said, hey, I tell you what, why don't you just give up your nuclear payload? You don't need those nuclear weapons. The next thing you know, a few years later, different president, Barack Obama's in, and some uh, Libyan guy wearing a uh, New York Yankee cap put a twenty-two where the sun don't shine and uh, shot him right up uh, the Hershey Highway, and he's gone because he had no nuclear weapons. Why the hell would you give up your nuclear weapons? Yes. Makes no sense. We, no. And had we allowed Gaddafi, there would be no terrorists there. Because the uh, the dictators did not allow terrorists in there. So we kind of screwed up Libya by doing that. We would have had been a safer world because Gaddafi would have controlled the terrorists there. And now that's chaos there, the American war machine. And I love America. It's the greatest country in the history. But we have this thing about 
uh, dismantling things and causing chaos in the world. And remember, we came up with the preemptive war uh, dogma, which is start the war so you won't have a bigger war later on. What kind of nonsense was that? Preemptive war. So nobody's attacked us. Nobody has threatened us. But, hey, might as well we trigger it off now because we get a sense that they're going to actually engage us in war five years down the line, ten years down the line. All it's meant to do is to aid and abet the military war machine out there, all these so-called generals dusting off their medals. They got a side hustle. They get paid as consultants to these major Department of Defense uh, companies that have these uh, excessive contracts. And naturally, they want to go to war. They, they have to create the image that we're on the verge of war in order for the budget to be increased. And for them to get their cut of the pie. Our number is one 800 Let's go to um, Kenny, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Kenny. Hey, Curtis, I think Frank might be right. This, 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 you got, you, everyone out there might have to uh, give Frank Morano an apology. I know you don't want to do that, but this might be it, Curtis. I'm what, I'm reading ABC uh, News um, report. There's a, um, I put this out on a link to on, on, on Twitter, on ABC Radio. It's called Alaska UFO. It's got the link for this uh, article. ABC News article says, ABC News Chief Global Affairs Correspondent Martha Raddus first reported that when fighters were scrambled, the pilot did visual, got images, and said there was no sign the objects had any propulsion. They say they described it as a cylindrical silver's gray and seemed to be floating, a U.S. official said. They said, then they asked, was it a balloon-like, the official said. They said, all I said is that it wasn't flying with any sort of propulsion. So if that's a balloon, well, we just don't have enough information at this point. Silver grayish floating at 40,000 feet with no visible means of propulsion? What what normal stuff could do that? So you're... um... You're hedging uh, on the side that maybe, in fact, it was an actual UFO, unidentified flying object. ABC News article, this is what they're saying. I'm telling you, go look it up. Uh, The only thing that that doesn't make sense to me is you wouldn't be able to shoot down a real UFO. I mean, that doesn't make sense. They're they're more advanced than us. So unless they wanted us to shoot them down, I mean, which maybe that's what they, they wanted to do. But according to this article, they said the pilot said there is no visible means of propulsion. It means it wasn't a plane, a, a balloon, a drone, and it was sil- cylindrical and silver gray. That's classic flying saucer UFO shape. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. We're going to continue to discuss this and so much more. And again, why the president of the United States seems to have a tick. And the tick is that he uses this phrase over and over again wherever he goes, as he did in the State of the Union address. I want to know what the hell it means. As my football coach used to say, lots of luck in your senior year. I never finished my senior year in high school, so I wouldn't know what the hell he's talking about. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Let's go, Brandon. I keep it drawn like I'm a can. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. Pandemic ain't real. They just planning. Hey, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. You ask questions, they start banning. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. Hey, hey, let's go, Brandon. I keep it drawn like I'm a can. This is a dance song that has taken control of the top 40 around the nation at discos and nightclubs. Let's go, Brandon. Uh, Whether you consider it in honor of President Joe Biden or a diss and dismiss of him, it's a great dance song. You can't argue with that. A lot of people get up there and they just do the boogaloo to it. They really like it. But I got to tell you... Uh, I have no idea what his conversation with Trudeau Jr. was earlier today that caused the United States to work uh, in tandem with the Canadians to shoot down something that we haven't been told. In fact, could I hear Kirby again? Uh, need to hear what Kirby was talking about when he said that we shot something down. Uh, see if we can get that. We're calling this an object because that's the best description we have right now. Uh, we do not know who owns it, uh, whether it's a whether it's state owned or, or or corporate owned or privately owned. We just don't know. Uh, we don't we don't know. As I said, state owned. We don't know if it's state owned, um, and we don't uh, understand the full purpose. We don't have any comp- we don't have any information that would confirm a stated purpose for this object. Um, we do expect to be able to recover uh, the debris. Uh, since it fell not only within our territorial space, but on what we what we uh, believe is is frozen uh, water, so uh, it, uh, a recovery effort will be made, um, and uh, uh, we're hopeful that it'll be successful, and then we can learn a little bit more about it. What the hell is he talking about? He gives us as much mumbo jumbo as the president of the United States, Joe Biden, who is at the State of the Union address, and apparently on a regular basis, uses the term, as my football coach used to say, lots of luck in your senior year. Now, some members here are threatening, and I know it's not an official party position, so I'm not going to exaggerate, but threatening to repeal the Inflation Reduction Act. As my coach, that's okay, that's fair. As my football coach used to say, lots of luck in your senior year. Make no mistake, if you try anything to raise the cost of presenting jobs, I will veto it. I'm still, I'm pondering, what the hell does, as my football coach used to say, lots of luck in your senior year. I played football. I never never heard any anybody say that, any coaches or assistant coaches. Can anybody help me with Bidenese out there? You know, it's a language that pretty much he's created. Malaprop, spoonerisms, fractured phrases like Sliwanis. 
like the uh, language I've created, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to, um, let's go to uh, Tony, who's calling all the way from Tampa, Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Hey, Curtis. Uh, I uh, I think that the president is just uh, stuck with a mental thing in his senior year, and that's why he keeps saying that. Uh, I don't think it means anything. But to preface my uh, – uh, by the way, uh, I'm sorry if somebody raised this uh, issue already. I just tuned in. But to preface my question, what I want to say is that if they shoot – one of these missiles balloons down, and it turns out to be filled with nuclear material, you cannot take that back. And in view of that fact, I would think somebody would have tried to tow the damn thing down by now with all the technology. I mean, you could, I could take a bow and arrow with two helicopters up there with a, uh, with a uh, uh, sticky stuff. You know, not a not a real bow and arrow, but one that sticks to it or goes or shoots a net over the top of it, and with two helicopters, one on each side, pull it down. They go, they move slowly, and the the small one was no more than a couple hundred pounds at the most, not like the the uh, twelve thousand pound, uh, you know, uh, Maluka with uh, all the all the all the iron gear attached to it. You know, the the uh, all the antennas. So uh, I mean, uh, what do you what do you, you have an opinion about that, or maybe one of your callers? Well, I tell you, I, I tell you, uh, Tony, I, I don't believe we shot anything down over Alaska or Canada. We obviously know we shot something down over South Carolina that fell into the ocean. But how come we haven't seen any video of us shooting anything down in Alaska, and then us earlier on Saturday shooting something down over the Yukon province in Canada. I mean, in a day and age where you get instantaneous video, you can't tell me there's not any video. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Diana, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Diana. Hi, uh, I think it may be that they're trying to prepare us for disclosure. You know, Alan Steinfeld, the famous ufologist, has always said that, uh, of course, they can hide. Of course, they can be invisible. They let us have contact. They let us shoot down UFOs to prepare us, they being, you know, aliens, to prepare us for disclosure. And I think this may be what's coming, that we will find out definitively that, yes, we have been in contact with aliens for hundreds of years, and the elite, the Illuminati, whatever you want to call them, have known this. And it's no big deal, because if they wanted us dead, we would have been dead thousands of years ago. Now, when you say disclosure, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that they will tell us that we are, yes, in contact and have been for eons with space aliens. Now, you find it odd that they refer to the shooting of the object down over Alaska as a UFO. Then all of a sudden they just kept calling it an object. 
And yet, our government, every time you ask them about the presence of UFOs, they hem, they haw, they hesitate. They well, get maybe f- they're not doing that anymore. Maybe they've decided to come clean. Because now with the Internet, it's almost impossible to keep any kind of secret. And I think they realize that, and I think they think we, the people of planet Earth, are mature enough to handle it now. We've been prepared by films, by all sorts of things, by books, and now I think we can handle it and uh, take it in stride. So you don't think they're a threat to us? What, that little thing they shot down over the Yukon? Well, Probably not, but I don't know. No, no, I, I, I'm saying that. I'm saying that, obviously, uh, anything that enters our airspace that we cannot determine what it is or who it is, do you think that potentially could be a threat to our existence at some point? Potentially, potatoes could be a threat to our existence. The point is, if they wanted us dead with their advanced technology, they could have done it eons ago, and we're still alive. Now, Diana, uh, when you say potatoes could be a threat to our existence, would they be potatoes from Idaho or potatoes from Maine? Probably from Idaho, although, really, what do we know about Maine, you know? That's true, other than moose and paper mills, the stench of which will curl the hairs in your nostrils. Have any of you ever been up to Maine and seen the moose, as I have seen? And then to wake up in the morning and say, what the hell died outside? And you realize it's a paper pulp mill in a nearby area by those who trace their their existence back to Canucks, the French, and not to America. And you say, whose side are they on? Have you ever been in that position? Have you ever been uh, up I, to Maine? I've been in a lot of positions, and let's leave that out of it. But you are hilarious. Now, hold on a second. What did you mean by that, many positions? <laughs> well, you figure it out. You're a big boy. <laughs> Poor Frank Morano would have had a heart attack there. That's the kind of call he would have lusted for. Although right now, he is... Um, Transfixed. His wet dream came true. He was on the stage with Captain Kirk, William Shatner, and as was reported by two of our abled and willing uh, participants who actually went to the presentation by William Shatner, who described Frank as being paralyzed by his infatuation, sitting in a chair, refusing to move, Shatner dancing all around Frank. And then at a certain moment, requesting a Kleenex to blow his schnozzola. And then Frank Morano immediately snatching it up and stuffing it into his pocket protector. And Shatner being stunned and saying, what the hell are you going to do with that? Do you mind telling me what this is all about, mister? And Frank was like in seventh heaven. Oh, my God. He had particuli from Shatner in his hands. Our number's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to uh, Jack calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jack. Curtis, good morning. What they're blowing up is all of the uh, classified documents and all of the Hunter Biden laptop stuff. They gave it to China. China sent it over on the balloons. 
So China could say, we didn't destroy it. You destroyed your own evidence. (laughs) It's plausible, right? Anything is plausible. I mean, we haven't received all the documents. We know that Rudy Giuliani, Michael Mbaricic, provided uh, the hard drive from the laptops of Hunter Biden. But who knows? Maybe the Red Chinese had procured some of that and were just sending it back when we shut it down. Or was there anything high in the sky? You see, my contention is that we wanted to act macho, especially Trudeau uh, Jr. there in Ottawa wanted to act tough. You know, so, hey, I'm going to call up Biden. Let's go shoot some you-know-what. What What are we going to shoot? Don't worry about it. We'll just make believe that we shot something out of the sky. Who can dispute that, right? Who can dispute that if you shot nothing out of the sky? And then you claim that the video did not work, that the satellites, there were too, too much cloud cover, you couldn't get an accurate video of the circumstance, you could come up with a million and one different excuses. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So what I ask, what the hell did we shoot out of the sky that both uh, the Canadian authorities and our own American authorities will not tell us? And apparently there have been no intrepid reporters through sources or who have bribed contacts, who have been able to procure any information about what it might have been. So, left with uh, Ugats and Bupkis, we have to surmise. We have to imagine what it might be. one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Graham in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Graham. Good morning, Curtis. How are you today? I'm very confused. I feel like I have vertigo hearing that my government and the Canadian government shot something down, but they won't tell us what it is. Uh-huh. Well, to be honest with you, I don't really have a whole lot of love for the Canadians. I spent a lot of time up there when I was a motor coach driver. I went on vacation up there. As a child, we went up there because my brother was in school up there. Um, I've spent a lot of time with the Canadians and made a lot of, a lot of, did a lot of dealing with them. But um, also, I spent the last 27 years as uh, in the trucking business, last 30 years in the trucking business. And to be honest with you, after what they did to their independent drivers and people from small fleet, I wouldn't spend any money in Canada. I will never go there again. I'll never buy any of their round bacon. I won't eat any of their pineapple pizza. You know, I'll, I'll get my maple syrup from Vermont. Thank you. And can I also make uh, one quick statement about Admiral Kirby? Oh, yeah, before you hit Kirby, um, uh, you're really down on the Canadians. You spent so much time there. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's the government, right? It's not the Canadian people. No, but after what the Canadian government did during the trucker strike last year, where they where they were going to arrest these people, they took money. They got GoFundMe to give the to take them to collect money for them, and then didn't give it to them. And then they started arresting people, and they started impounding their trucks and selling them out from under them. That's just not the way things are done. Now, before we uh, discuss Kirby and what he said, which made no sense about anything. 
Uh, which parts of Canada have you visited and vacationed in? Well, I I used to spend a lot of time in Ontario. I was a bus driver. And so when I was a motor coach driver, we used to go regularly to Toronto, to Canada's Wonderland. We used to go up to Montreal. We used to go up to Quebec City. Uh, my brother lived in Port Hope, Ontario when he was in, in school. Um, I also have been all through the Canadian Rockies. I've put the bus out on a ferry and took it out to uh Victoria and then to another island and then over to Vancouver. We did the, we started the trip in Seattle. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't think you've ever put a 40-foot motor coach on a ferry before, have you? No, no. So you were going out to Vancouver Island from the mainland? Well, we went out first to Victoria and then to another island and then over to uh, and then over to uh, 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 the place with the space needle, where all the where all the hypodermic needles are now. Yeah, Seattle. From there, Seattle, and then from there we went to Jasper and Banff and all the rest of those places through the the uh, Ro- you know the Rockies National Park, and then down into uh, into the United States. Um, you know, went through uh, Idaho and Washington State and all the rest of that, and back to Seattle. What was your uh, preferred location that you traveled to uh, that you would say, wow, I wouldn't mind going back there? Um, I actually like like Nevada, the Sierras. I like Wyoming because I used to do the trip back and forth between San Francisco, which I have no use for, and um, and basically shoot right across 80 over to um, over to New York because I was doing that with German tourists back when the wall first came down. I used to t- I used to travel with East Germans. Wow, what were they like, uh, especially uh, having just sampled freedom? Because I was there uh, right before they took the wall down, and then obviously I was there again years after they took the wall down. Well, what was it like uh, to be in their company, them being able to... Well, be in a country that they had been taught was evil. Well, we were in we were in Chicago, and um, we were in Chicago, and uh, my uh, a whole bunch of my tourists went missing, and we couldn't figure out where. In the meantime, somebody with a U-Haul truck backed into my driver's side mirror and broke it. So I had to leave Chicago and head out to Palatine, Illinois, without a pass, without a uh, driver's side mirror, which was lots of fun. And when somebody said where the people were, they went over and they were online for free flu shots at a church. Because the one thing that communism teaches you is that if there's a line, you should get on it because there's <laughs> usually something good on the other side. Of it. <laughs> Unfortunately, they don't give them flu shots in their backsides. <laughs> and then we were at a uh, we were at a breakfast buffet at a hotel. And my my tour guide, I had to leave her in um, in Nebraska, in Lincoln, Nebraska, because she popped a hernia in San Francisco and almost died on the bus. And she wouldn't relinquish the trip because she didn't want to lose the money. Um, She spent um, basically three days telling them in German how, you know, America sucks and she has no insurance and they're (laughs) going to try to take her house away. And then I spent the next day playing 20, uh, 20 questions while I waited until I got to Illinois to get a, to get my new uh, new tour guide. And so we had a person there who actually was a, a displaced 
child from World War II who grew up in the Bronx, and then he joined the U.S. Army and went to Germany and married a German woman. And he stayed there after he was done with his uh, with his U.S. Army time. So he was fluent in English, and he played uh, interpreter for me. So I spent the day straightening them out and playing 20 questions with them and answering all the different things that they wanted to know. Uh, the only thing that was also kind of wacky was at the um, at the breakfast buffet at the hotel. Um, they had a chance to upgrade for a couple of dollars more, and um, the hotel manager, restaurant manager, comes in and sees that, you know, he says, what are you putting out? Says to the guy, what are you putting out more bananas for? And he goes, oh, these people love bananas. I've already gone through two and a half cases of bananas. And at that point, the manager ran around with a box grabbing bananas off of people's plates. <laughs> because, again, you know, here, you know, and then they were too ashamed to eat their bananas on the bus because the tour guide was yelling at them in German. And telling them that she's a, she's a, she's making them ashamed of their German heritage. <laughs> I can now, just imagine. <laughs> oh, I I saw some crazy stuff. I got when I was coming through um, a DOT stop. I got into it with them over my. Uh, oh, there's there's a shared um, DOT stop at the uh, Washington Idaho border, and they're very very difficult in there. And they looked at my um, my medical card, and he was trying to tell me that my medical card was a was a two. And I said, no, my medical card is a three. And he goes, well, it looks like a two to me. So what we're going to do is we're going to call your company, and I'm going to have them send you a hard send them a, a hard copy of your uh, your DOT physical. And I said, well, that's fine. I said, but you got to figure on it's going to be at least 45 minutes to an hour. And they go, why is that? And I said, well, because my bosses are on East Coast time, and the chances are they've already crossed the county and gone home, and they're they're getting dinner. And it's 9 o'clock at night over in New Jersey because it was 6 o'clock out in, in their time, Pacific time. So they said, well, then I guess we're going to have to wait for your boss to drive across the county and send us the paper. So I go back to the bus and I release the Germans. So the Germans all, when they like to travel, you set up a cooler and you put sodas and beer and they buy sodas and beer. And that's what paid for the down payment on my house. Don't tell uh, Joe Biden's 87,000 armed IRS <laughs> agents about that one. But that's where I that's where I got a lot of the down payment for my home. Wow, the East Germans. On a bus tour of the United States, they saw a line and they got on a line to get free flu shots. <laughs> Let's go to Marie, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marie. Good morning. How are you? I don't know, somewhat confused. And my colleague, Frank Morano, so obsessed with William Shatner that well, he would pick well. up a Kleenex tissue that... Like uh, Shatner had expirated in. I came across a show on Netflix with William Shatner that he narrates. I don't know if you've ever seen the show. I believe it's called The Unexplained. Um, and it's a really good series. And it talks about all these wild things that happen in the world. And 
and all kinds of, you know, phenomenons if you believe them. And Well, anyway, and the other thing about William Shatner, do you remember when he went up to the, uh, you know, up in the atmosphere with the uh, the rocket last year? Yes, I remember that. Well, when they landed, the man was in such awe of the trip. And, and all these dipsy little reporters are running around in the background. But it was like a very, very serious moment for that gentleman, for William Shatner. It was a very spiritual uh, uh, experience that he had. And, and, and the people in the background, well, you know what I'm trying to say, these entrepreneurs and everything, and all they cared about was other things where, like, the respect wasn't given to, to William Shatner. Mm. But anyway, I started to listen to the show. Um, uh, I'm an independent, um, if you can't tell in my voice. But, uh, but you had a very good, smart man on the other day. Frank did. Uh, it was a colonel, Douglas McGregor or something like that, I believe. He was very, very uh, smart. Well, anyway. in fact, uh, you have to be listening to The Break of Dawn, Marie. Because Avery, who has scrutinized and dissected and bisected all 20 hours of The Other Side of Midnight of Frank Morano and his Daffy crew, has actually come up with some cuts about that very colonel that are not all that complimentary, since I've already heard the cuts. Funniest hour in radio. You don't want to miss it from 4 to 5 Everything that Frank Morano has said within 20 hours, Avery has boiled it down to um, to what Frank Morano, I guess, doesn't realize how he makes himself sound like a goofball. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Leo. Who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Leo. Hello, Curtis. Uh, good morning. I was living in Germany. I was actually with a hammer physically taking the wall down by myself. But uh, soon after, there was a there was a fall in, uh, I believe it was in a Spiegel. That's kind of a uh, big magazine like uh, New York Times. There yeah, Der Spiegel. Yeah, there was a poll uh, made questionnaire of uh, West, uh, West Berliners. About uh, there was a lot of questions, but uh, the major ones, which was like shocking, there was about seventy percent of Berliners who said they not happy about the wall being down and being uh, unified, and uh, thirty-five, I believe, thirty-five percent said uh, they would put the wall back. The problem was that any Berlin is in the center actually of ex East Germany, and they was just with the trucks coming. Uh, emptying basically supermarkets. There was a Friday, Saturday, uh, people have no chance to buy milk, bread, any basic stuff, butter, because they was loading uh, trucks and trucks and selling it with profit around in the ex-property of East Germany. There was a lot of uh, a lot of tricks also made. The East German mark was about one-third of value of West German mark, and uh, in the name of the, you know, the, there was the the big wheels in Dohain Folk, meaning like we are one country. Uh, they exchanged East Germans one-to-one any savings 
but a lot of everybody used to have a piece of family in West Germany, so they fast switch their West German mark into the accounts of these East Germans and actually tripled their wealth. It was a lot of, lot of bad stuff coming with that. Well, I, I saw quite a bit of what you're describing. Uh, I took the U-Bahn and the S-Bahn, which is the subway system of Berlin, one that went underground, one that went overground that uh, would go from West Berlin to East Berlin, actually underground. Uh, and the overground, the U-Bahn and the S-Bahn. And I was shocked at the amount of graffiti. Graffiti on statues, graffiti on churches, graffiti in parks, graffiti on the trains, the suburban trains, the U-Bahn, the S-Bahn. And I said to myself, the hell is this? And I recognized this was the ugly American syndrome and said young people over there thought this was cool, hip, and happening because they had seen so many documentaries, so many pictures, so many videos of what life was like here in New York in the 70s. And even though we began to remove that graffiti and it wasn't as apparent, the Germans were trying to recreate it in their transportation system, on their statues, on their churches, and many of them would come over to the Bronx and want to put up these big pieces of graffiti because they conceived of this place as being the Mecca, the Medina, where you could do this. And people were saying to them, no, it's not like that anymore. In fact, they had more graffiti in parts of Europe than I had seen in the Bronx of late, especially in Milan, similarly to what I saw in Berlin. It was really uh, sad to see that especially that they would put it on these statues, these magnificent statues, the churches, in the parks. It was, yuck. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. side of midnight now to the bernard mcgurk studios of 77 wabc here's curtis lewa Next hour, we're going to be talking about Rihanna. It will be the halftime uh, performance uh, of the Super Bowl outside of Phoenix. Trump trashing her like there's no tomorrow. And I'm going to compare it to when I did see Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers. He's no longer with us, having passed away, OD'd on fentanyl, fentanyl strips. Very similar to Prince. Outside of Minneapolis, who himself OD'd on fentanyl. And they're no longer with us. I thought the uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers performance uh, during the uh, halftime uh, ceremony and performance a uh, few years ago of the Super Bowl was outstanding. You didn't have a lot of the uh, bells and whistles, fire and Everything else and all the tchotchkes and thousands and thousands of uh, young people running out onto the field. But it was an absolutely outstanding performance. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Could I, uh, could I hear from a uh, spokesperson from the National Security uh, Council who uh, seems to be more confused than anybody, Kirby, in saying he doesn't really know that much? We're calling this an object because that's the best description we have right now. Uh, we do not know who owns it, uh, whether it's a whether it's state owned or, or or corporate owned or privately owned. We just don't know. Uh, we don't we don't know. As I said, state owned. We don't know if it's state owned, um, and we don't uh, understand the full purpose. We don't have any comp- we don't have any information that would confirm a stated purpose for this object. Um, we do expect to be able to recover uh, the debris uh, since it fell not only within our territorial space but on what we what we uh, believe is is frozen uh, water. So uh, it, uh, a recovery effort will be made, um, and uh, uh, we're hopeful that it'll be successful, and then we can learn a little bit more about it. God, he said nothing about nothing. To know nothing about what you shot down makes no sense whatsoever. And he was stumbling and fumbling uh, even worse than President Joe Biden does sometimes. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Rose in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rose. I must say, this is one of the best shows you've done. Um, I want to make a connection between the project for the New American Century, which uh, was in Libya and, you know, you know, running its way all the way up to the uh, Yukon. That was something brought up by, uh, I think, Daddy Bush. Everyone should understand this is all Hillary Clinton's fault because Hillary Clinton, her, her mother married the director, the, the head of the uh, Republican Party for Illinois. And she was a Goldwater girl who wanted to, you know, they were running about trying to get him in. Why he was saying, oh, Mom Hoyne Hanoi. I don't know. I think that all of this stuff, I mean, we'd like to have a, another Roswell. But, you know, I'm afraid it's all, it's all a scheme to confuse people and keep them scared. Hmm. Confuse people and yeah, keep yeah. them scared. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know that's how you control people. You feel control through fear. Well, we got you know we got earthquakes and we got wars here and there and all these bombs. I mean, no rational person could possibly swallow all this goulash. You know, I mean, come on. By the way, Rose, I always hated Hungarian goulash. Whenever my mother would try to make it, Francesca, I would say, stick to Italian. <laughs> I hate the goulash. Well, I'm I, I'm using it in the figurative sense, not the, not not the uh, thing you put on your plate. <laughs> but uh, you figure it's all just to keep people paralyzed in fears, Fear. right. so that they'll be like sheep. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Because mm-hmm. notice, you would think there would be an outroar now after supposedly two days in a row, back to back, belly to belly, with shooting objects out of the sky. <laughs> And we still don't know what the hell the object is? It's those rotten Martians, you know. Come on, we're having Roswell moment here again. Oh. I mean, it's like, it's it's fascinating to me that we have spent gazillions of dollars on wars and on on, the Star Wars. I mean, you know, they they keep propagating such anti-life items, you know. It's just crazy. 
Do you know that um, the next one after the Challenger that crashed, you know, the, the, the spacecraft, they had the plans to use, like, I don't know how many, 40 pounds of plutonium to uh, do that rocket? It was, if that baby had dropped, I mean, it was a good thing. I mean, I'm sad to say that people had to die, but uh, at least we didn't get 40 pound uh, payloads going out. Mm. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, I, that's been around for a thousand years. I mean, I'm older than dirt, so, you know, I, I pay t- attention to all kinds of weird stuff. But that was one aspect of, of the Challenger crash, that the guy wanted – it, it, it shouldn't have gone out at all, and it was too cold. And then they do send it out, and it crashes, but the next one, was, which was in lineup, had, was, low, it was supposed to be powered by plutonium. Now, you know, this is the geniuses that run our world. Hmm. I, I, th- I would rather have that bus dri- that that auto, uh, you know, the bus driver running the country than anybody I've ever seen on <laughs> on TV or heard on the radio. Oh yeah, especially these uh, generals coming out of the closet, dusting their medals off, and acting like they know exactly what transpired, and all they do is pump the industrial war machine uh, to end up spending more of our precious tax dollars. Oh golly! You know, don't worry about the, don't worry about your Medicare or you know any of that stuff. Your Social Security—they've already drained that. You know, and the funny thing is that our our biggest banker was China. Remember that? Yes. Yes. So going, you know, throw mud in the eye of your of your banker. I mean, we are just such a suicidal yo bunch of yo-yos. We shouldn't have small children running the country, and you really got to wonder. Um, why do we have all this stuff going on? Well, I think uh, when you create intrigue, as you have mentioned, keep people frightened, and they're more likely just to uh, lockstep in line and follow whatever the directives are. But it's all meant to just pump that war machine to create more products, more defensive weapons, and uh, to put more money in retired generals' pockets who uh, then, after they finish their stint in the military, they go out and they become the lobbyists for the military-industrial complex. I uh, challenge many of the generals that I see on television or I even hear on WABC around the clock as to whether they have any interests in private corporations that are making products for the war machine. Because then all of a sudden it would behoove them to create a crisis to pump the war machine because it'll be self-beneficial to them, the lobbyists, and to the stockholders and to the business in general. And we're never told it should be uh, it should be an announcement at the start of an interview as to what interest is this particular general who all of a sudden we have no idea if he was growing barnacles on his backside and just signing paperwork. All of a sudden they introduce him as a general and, uh, wow, he has our attention. It's like when we say Eric Adams, oh, he was a cop for 22 years. But what kind of cop? He's a house mouse. He didn't make arrests. He wasn't proactive. Likewise, many of these generals never had any military experience in terms of dealing with war efforts other than maybe in supply and helping to create the pounds of bureaucracy that is what our military-industrial complex war machine is known for, uh, and it 
it gets all traced back to the Pentagon. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Ann, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ann. Oh, I admire you so much, Curtis. Um, I, when you were talking about graffiti, though, I had a, I came from the Midwest. I came from St. Louis. It was a bedroom community uh, where, you know, everybody had to go to uh, Ivy League schools and stuff. But I came here to be an actress. And I, the graffiti to me was like all those all those uh, buildings, you know, there, there was no color. And all of a sudden, there's all these this wonderful color, you know, because I, I'm like an artistic person. I I love color. <laughs> so when you were you were out in the St. Louis area, did you live out in Ladue? Webster Groves. Okay, Webster Groves. I'm familiar with that. And so you came to New York like so many before you and after you to to uh, develop a career in uh, theater, in performance, uh, in entertainment. Yeah, yeah, I had been working at uh, in Clayton at the Clayton Repertory Theater with Carol O'Connor before he became famous as Archie Bunker. Wow, and what was parents, what was he like uh, as a person? Oh, he was he was a lovely person. He was uh, I just adored him. He was my mentor. Hmm, did you do uh, Did you do summer stock with him? Yeah, yeah, I played uh, I played Nancy and. Oh gosh, I can't tell the name of that play, but he directed it, and then he and his wife were directing, and then he came back. My parents gave them a wardrobe trunk that I used to play dress ups out of. That was my grandmother's. Wow, Carol O'Connor, incredible! Yeah. Could you ever have imagined later on, after you had met him and worked in summer stock and production with him? Uh, that he could pull off that character, Archie Bunker, that became so synonymous with America. Well, his his wife knew that she was the she was the power behind the throne. She said uh, he wanted to. He was teaching. He was teaching in that school between Forty Seventh and Forty Eighth Street. Uh, it was a junior high school. I think it's an art school now. But um, he was teaching there, and he liked his job. I talked to. I substitute taught for thirteen years. In all the worst schools in New York City is a substitute teacher. Oh, that is the, that, that, let me tell you something. When a substitute would come into my class with my other classmates, I know it was likewise in other classes. We would give that substitute teacher the worst time in their life because we knew <laughs> we knew that they would be gone as soon as the main teacher would come back into the classroom. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had gotten a, I had taught in uh, uh, Soto, Missouri, and uh, got values clarification for kids that had drug problems. And I used uh, it from a philosopher from uh, East Texas State University. Um, and his name is Harold Laswell, and uh, a value system uh, where I would play hangman. But before I did that, what I would do is tell the students, is that, okay, you've got to have your name on a piece of paper, and you've got to be sitting in the desk. And before they came in, I would always arrange the, the desks, you know, in rows. Mm. And i say, i got to see your name on the paper, and i got to see that you've written that do now. Aim and do now. 
you know, cause all you, you always had an aim and a do now uh, sure. in, in New York city. And, and, uh, if, uh, if anything happens in this class where somebody gets hurt, this is like a legal document. And I would always arrange the chairs. So I, I wouldn't use the teacher's uh, a seating plan. And many times the teachers did not leave, you know, a lesson plan. So I would use this values clarification. And I'd put A-R-S-E-P-W-W-R on the blackboard. And i say, now copy those letters. That's that's the do now. And, uh, and then... Um, I'd say, okay, we're going to play hangman. And uh, the the eight values were affection, respect, skill, enlightenment, power, wealth, well-being, and responsibility. And I said, now, uh, you, you've got to find out what these words are. And then I, you know, play hangman. For, well, even the special ed kids, they knew those words by the time we finished. And uh then i would i would make a math lesson i would make because i'd have them uh and i'd explain what the values were like if you were too overindulgent in one value it would lead to a deprivation in another value so the thing was to to you know uh moderate all the values wow now so you came all the way from st louis to seek a career in entertainment you ended up teaching a large portion of your life uh, as a substitute teacher, which is, uh, in essence, you had to try to entertain kids who knew that they could get over on you because you weren't a permanent teacher. I I have to salute you because it's the most difficult job in the world, being a substitute teacher. Kids know that you're not there permanently. They're not going to have to answer to you, and they can give you... uh, They can drag you into the belly of the beast, and quite frankly, there are probably going to be no ramifications and no consequences, and yet you held up magnificently. You may not have won an Emmy. You may not have won an Academy Award uh, in terms of theater performance or in terms of movies or television, but my God, you win an award every day. You can keep the attention of a classroom of kids who are hell-bent on trying to distract everybody else from from being able to learn. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa.
Much more American than the Super Bowl. It's probably the closest that our country gets to war, other than uh, engaging in battle. Once you uh, see the teams uh, spread out on the gridiron and attacking one another, and definitely trying to uh, do harm to one another, this uh, nonsense that... You know, we hope that everybody goes home in the same uh, manner that they arrived in one piece. I've seen that time and time again. Look, I played high school football. I played, uh, I guess, what you would call Pop Warner football, what they want to eliminate in New York State, which is ridiculous. And the coach gets you together, and he says, hey, let's say a prayer. Everybody is going to come out of here the same way they came in. Yeah, yeah, okay, take a knee, all right. Then a moment, uh, the other team is doing better than you, especially if it's the quarterback. Hey, why don't we break his leg? Uh, crack back on him. Yeah, you hit him high, you hit him low. Take this guy out. He's killing us. We're never going to win this game if that quarterback can just uh, retreat into the pocket and have all the time in the world and pick out his receivers or dump off a short little pass, a little dinky pass to his halfback or his fullback, or run out of the pocket and then run up the field, man. You got to take him out. Hit him low, hit him by the ankles. Somebody else hits him high. Hopefully you concuss him. Hopefully he can't lift his arm. Maybe he uh, busts his shoulder. He said, wait a minute, what about the prayer that everybody comes out in the same way that they came here? Hey, that was then, this is now. We got to win this game. Remember what Vince Lombardi said. It's only one thing, and that's winning. If you don't win, what the hell is the use of playing? Except now, Vince Lombardi, imagine trophies for participation, not for winning. Another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
show for the Super Bowl, Rihanna. I actually like her songs. There's been quite the debate about whether she should even be performing at the Super Bowl. I don't even understand why it's debatable. She's good. And then again, you have Donald Trump, who's like all over her. Horrible, disgusting. What is she doing? It's a halftime entertainment. I guarantee you, if all of a sudden she was kissing his ass... Uh, he'd be saying, wonderful, great to have her there for the halftime. I mean, I don't know what it is with uh, with Donald Trump. It's like he, he's in a battle now with a sickle fan, Toady and Lackey. Just when you figure he'd like to stay focused, he wants to run for president again. It's not my cup of tea, but other people like him. And he's uh, blasting away at this Charlie Kirk. Remember, Charlie Kirk was the one who did a podcast uh, right when O'Reilly would give you an update at 12 noon each day, and then there would be Charlie Kirk with a 45-minute podcast. And I actually went to management after I came back off the campaign trail running for mayor against Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, and I said, put me in there. This guy is horrible. He sucks. 45 minutes of a podcast. A live and local radio is not a podcast. And so finally, uh, it prevailed on them that they had to get uh, get him out of there. But this guy has like been a number one supporter of Donald Trump, and then all of a sudden, he's showing interest in Ron DeSantis, and Trump acts like the guy's a traitor. It's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> You're not the only person that exists in the in the world who inhales and exhales. You're not the only Republican who could exist and run the country well. My God, you act like you're the only guy who's entitled to be in the sandbox. And then when commenting on the halftime entertainment of the Super Bowl, obviously you have a right to do that, but you're really trashing Rihanna because you just don't really like her politics and the fact that she's taking shots at you. Meantime, you've taken shots at people all the time. Well, she is the halftime show. I happen to like her music. Could I hear the next one? Could, uh, could we come in with the next one and let everybody be the judge? Uh, we'll do a little uh, a little Dick Clark, American Bandstand, pick or pan it uh, in terms of whether you like some of Rihanna's songs or you don't like it. Apparently, in preparation, she has gone through 37 different uh, songs. Please don't stop the music. From Barbados. By the way, I would think that Donald Trump, although he may not like her politics, may not like her music, would say, you know, this is a woman who has done extraordinarily well in business. She's a billionaire, not from her music. She's actually invested in in a makeup company 
in which he's gone into partnership with a French firm. It's 34 years old. She's a billionaire. And I always thought that Donald Trump uh, looked at those who uh, developed wealth and invested wealth and would consider them, uh, you know, an object to be praised. Again, she's not my cup of tea in terms of uh, her social life. You remember she had that that uh, brief period of time she was with Chris, let me smack you around Brown. And now she's with, what, ASAP Rocky, uh, who just got busted on a gun charge in uh, L.A., I think having his kid. But she knows what she's doing. Uh, she might well have been featured in uh, Donald Trump's Art of the Deal. In fact, uh, give you an idea of what her preparation is before she goes out and performs. She uses steam... For her voice, for a half hour, lozenges. She warms up for an additional half hour. She does her own makeup, and she's good to go. She doesn't just walk out on the stage. And she's fixated on detail. So I don't understand why Donald Trump would weigh into this, right? I mean, how many times have I heard Donald Trump comment on things that to me were absolutely crazy? And yet he felt he had a right to do that. His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being, uh, you know, shot. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What, what, what is this right prior to his being shot? And nobody even brings it up. I mean, they don't even talk about that. That was reported, uh, and nobody talks about it. But I think it's horrible. Right. There was a picture out there that reportedly shows um, uh, Raphael Cruz standing with Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, what, was he, doing with, what um, was he doing with Lee Harvey Oswald right. shortly before the death, uh, before the shooting? It's, it's Crazy. horrible. Now, I know you Trumpers defend this guy no matter what he says, but that was like one of the stupidest things I'd ever heard. Right before the Indiana primary back in 2016, when it was pretty much him and Ted Cruz alone the rest of the way. And then he says Lee Harvey Oswald was aided and abetted by Ted Cruz's father in the assassination of JFK. That was an absolute lie. Oh, yeah, but I read it in the National Enquirer. Yeah, I'm really getting my news and information from the National Enquirer. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then, of course, when he he hyped uh, the hype machine and said, oh, man, I got a major announcement to make. It could be earth-shattering. He's talking about a uh, series of cards that he was making available on the public market as NFTs. But what he said initially, again, was another mind blower. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump, hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. (sighs) Greater than Washington, greater than Lincoln, and here are my NFT cards. Get out of here. Let me hear another Rihanna here, please. Hold on. Okay, so we got two songs in a row. I uh, I give thumbs up. Uh, don't stop. How about uh, her original song in which she pretty much hit uh, hit the music scene uh, with an explosion? Pond the replay.
What has Donald Trump got against Rihanna? Hey, okay, he doesn't like Rihanna, right? You know who's on his playlist? Lady Gaga. When they published his playlist when he was running for president, like five of his top ten songs were Lady Gaga, who has had nothing nice to say about Donald Trump. And yet he had her on his playlist. Okay, so he doesn't like Rihanna's music. I like it. But oh my God, oh, she's no good. It's like, shut up. 1-800-848-9222. And let's try the one, the EDM song with Calvin Harris. Uh, try that one. We found love uh, in honor of uh, St. Valentine's Day. Uh, you should be able to get that one up. Uh, she got a whole bunch uh, of really good songs. Well, go ahead. Yes, yes, come on, pump it up. Huh? Oh, I don't like it because she don't like me. What does that have to do with music? It's a lot of performers I don't like, and I make it very well known. But when they have a really good song, a really good jam, I say that's that's good music. Man, making a big deal about this story uh, uh, because he wants freaking attention. It's like talk about the Ukraine, talk about Red China, talk about the things that really matter. Not Rihanna performing at the halftime extravaganza of America's War Games, a.k.a. the Super Bowl, where the Eagles are going to crush the Kansas City Chiefs. Not because I like the Eagles, but remember that scene in Rocky. Remember when all of a sudden Burgess Meredith, his uh, boxing coach, comes up to him, his manager, and says, Yeah, you're not getting that guy, Rocky. Yeah, not, not this guy... Uh, Mr. T will kill you. No, I ain't talking. I'm telling you, Rocky, he'll kill you. The Eagles will crush the Chiefs like they crushed the Giants. And they'll end up breaking Patrick Mahomes' leg. Watch. They know he's weak. They know he has a strain of the upper ankle. I guarantee you the coaches are going to say, hit it and hit it hard. And if you break his leg, 
Don't worry about it. You can send them flowers in the hospital. If it's the difference between winning and losing, you're going to tell me they won't break his leg? Come on. Come on. Remember LT with Joe Theismann? He didn't hesitate to snap that guy's leg in half. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Marianne, who's calling from Indiana, the heartland of America. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Marianne. Hello, Curtis. Uh, uh, here in Indiana, uh, our cousin is, uh, lives in Arizona, and she's a, a hip-hop dancer, and she's going to be a backup dancer for Rihanna. Wow, so she'll be the on the Bowl. stage at the Super Bowl. Congratulations. I know. We're so proud here. Yeah, now, uh, did she ever tell you what it was like to work with Rihanna? Um, no, we just been well, seeing videos on uh, Facebook of some of the rehearsals and stuff. Yeah, she strikes me as being very professional, very anal, so to speak, like uh, very detail-oriented, uh, and mm-hmm. really into her performances. Like, man, she puts a lot into her performance. Yeah, a mm-hmm. lot of people. A lot of people are not going to like her music. Uh, I happen to like it, but that's what America is about: choice. You got to go to a supermarket, mm-hmm. right? How many choices of ketchup do you have? How many choices of mustard do you have? Right? Even in Indiana, yeah. right, Marianne? Yes, yes, of course, of course. Can I say something about the uh, balloon? Of course, that's the number one issue, bar none. Um, why isn't NATO getting into this? Hmm. Fascinating. I think they got their hands full with the Ukraine. But aren't they supposed to protect us too? Not really. Not really. NATO. NATO. There are allies. We're their allies. Uh, we have a pact with them. If they're attacked, uh, we get involved, uh, and uh, vice versa. But I think in this particular instance, it's happening in the uh, Western Hemisphere. Uh, these uh, objects, balloons, whatever you want to call it, are really affecting our world, Canada, the United States, South America. So it's really not a NATO issue. But why don't we listen to the admiral? I want you to listen to this, Marianne, and see if he makes any sense whatsoever as he can't even tell us what the hell it is that we shot down. We're calling this an object because that's the best description we have right now. Uh, we do not know who owns it, uh, whether it's a whether it's state owned or, or or corporate owned or privately owned. We just don't know. Uh, we don't we don't know. As I said, state owned. We don't know if it's state owned, um, and we don't uh, understand the full purpose. We don't have any comp- we don't have any information that would confirm a stated purpose for this object. Um, we do expect to be able to recover uh, the debris. Uh, since it fell not only within our territorial space, but on what we what we uh, believe is is frozen uh, water, so uh, it, uh, a recovery effort will be made, um, and uh, uh, we're hopeful that it'll be successful, and then we can learn a little bit more about it. Marianne, what the hell was he talking about? Oh, he's a great protector, I guess. <laughs> I, I I can't make hide nor hair out of what he said. Uh, really? <laughs> the whole administration's like that. Exactly. And what did you think of the fact that we teamed up with Canada? 
to shoot down another object high in the sky over Canada? Well, um, I thought Canada's against war anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, they're not a, uh, they're not a warrior nation, that's for sure. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bruce, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bruce. Hi. Um, I live near Brooklyn College, the junction in uh, Flatbush and Nostrand intersection, and there's all these scooters on the sidewalk for McDonald's, at, and this is by a subway, and and uh, it's very scary. They just come up behind you, almost hit you, and you were hit. And also at, at street fairs, there's like these big street fairs. There's no such thing as an aisle, and there's cops all over the Eastern Parkway parade. Or I mean, there's no fire lanes. When I go to these parades, I wear sil- uh, um, an orange reflective vest so people don't walk into me as much. I'm thinking about elbow pads like a football player. I just uh, any comments on that? Well, I've had that experience. Uh, I know the junction well where Nostrand Avenue meets Flatbush. In the shadow of Brooklyn College, you remember when they had the uh, Schraff's uh, ice cream parlor there? No, I remember Big Daddy's. Big Daddy's, okay, I remember that too. But anyway, always crowded in the junction. And you're right, scooters running every which way. They're on the sidewalks, they're in the streets. You got to be careful every time you step out into the street because they can clip you. Uh, The other uh, day I told a story, uh, it was a few weeks ago, when my wife had temporarily gone blind because she had been wearing the contacts for too long and she could not see, so I was taking her uh, to her appointment at the Hospital of Nose, Ear, and Eye, or whatever the hell that place is called. And as I was stepping out into the street, this uh, e-bike, electric bike, just smashed right into me. It was a, a woman who was on the bike. She was... She felt that she had maybe killed me. She she couldn't have been more more struck emotionally and fearing that she had done permanent damage to me. I assured her she hadn't. I've been hit much harder in my life. But I didn't even see that coming. And I mean, there had to have been like half a dozen, to- half a dozen times where these uh, e-bikes have almost clobbered me out of nowhere. And you're absolutely right. They're a menace. They're everywhere. And so now, here's Bruce in Brooklyn, right at the junction, having to put on an orange fluorescent vest in order to try to be like Bambi in the middle of hunting season so that the hunters don't take out the guns and blast you into the hereafter. That's an outrage. So it should. Uh, what recourse should I go to the community board or the police station, just a general... Uh, uh, Bruce, 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 do you like to waste your time? Go to the police station, go to the community board. How old are you, Bruce? 67. Okay, so you're my age. I got you by a year. Uh, did you ever carry a straight-edge razor or a switchblade in your life? No. Uh, you may want to, and then just slash their freaking tires, and then they can't go anywhere. Yeah, I heard instead of mace, uh, hairspray... So it won't blow back in your face if it has a, a lacquer in it there as, as, a, as a mace. It's a legal weapon. I tell you what, if you want to carry around VO5 hairspray, do you have a lighter with you? No, no. but I've been told I haven't had a match since Superman died. 
Let me tell you something. You get, you put that lighter, you light up that lighter, and then you press that nozzle of that VO5 hairspray, and it's like all of a sudden it's a flamethrower. Right. Come on, we got to go to war, Bruce. Slash their <laughs> tires, take that VO5 with a lighter, and torch them up, and they won't be coming near you the next time. Well, well, the hair will be uh, be in place, though, from the hairspray. You're damn right. Why should you have to wear a orange fluorescent vest just to walk around the streets? Well, I'm sure at all the parades, uh, you get you get elbowed back and forth just by accident. All Bruce, the time from the I will be in a parade in a few hours, the last of the various Lunar Day parades ending the Asian New Year. I will be with the Guardian Angels in Chinatown. And I assure you, as crowded as it it is, the fact that you, as a rock-ribbed all-American, feel the need to have to put on an orange fluorescent vest, it's like almost like you're in roller derby, right? You might as well put a cap yeah. on your head, put the elbow pads on, you'd be like Charlie Connery, and just knock them out on your way to just moving up and down the block. I know, and especially you. You're on the train and the parades. I mean, I'm sure you get it elbowed a million times. I'm telling you, it's time that we fight back. Hey, um, by the way, uh, where's he supposed to be getting all this time from? You got him making man-made blowtorches and stuff. So the other guy's just going to sit there while he flicks the, while he flicks the match? <laughs> the hey, let me tell you something. This is war. <laughs> This is pedestrian war. He has the guy to hold on. Hold on. I, I'm almost done. Hold on. Slash the freaking tires. <laughs> then they can't do their Grubhub uh, runs. No, I'm just saying, he could try. What, what kind of advice are you giving these people, man? Like, is the guy going to sit around while he, while he gets the tire and the, the edge and the, I'm the promoting. I'm promoting vigilanteism. My man sounds like he already want to take a nap. I mean, but just think about it. He's got an orange vest on, right? He's got to wear a freaking vest so he doesn't get hit in the street. Why not take a VO5 can of aerosol hairspray, get a match, man, and, man, it's like you're torching him up. And where's he holding this can? Those cans are big. <laughs> you know he's not going to get it and pull it out in the same, like, at the, at the first try. He's, like, going to drop it on the ground. Ain't nobody going to come around him after that, that's for sure. <laughs> Are those guys doing Grubhub deliveries, they're going to see that guy in the orange fluorescent vest and say, you turn. They're going to stick, stick around to see what he's trying to do. He's going to drop the can five times. He's going to drop the lighter two times. He gonna... <laughs> you got to understand this, Avery. He's standing his ground right there at the junction where Nostrin meets Flatbush in the shadow of Brooklyn College. He ain't taking that that you-know-what any longer. He's fighting back. And I support Bruce. Man, tell him to throw the can at the guy. That'll be better. <laughs> now, if we had a few more Bruces out there, we could launch an all-out war on the thugs and the thugettes. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You're coming down, you're walking down, right, and these guys are going to bump you, you know, they're going to get jostle you, they're going to try to pickpocket you, yoke you, and then you whip out that VO5 hairspray, man, you pop that lighter out like you're lighting up some crack cocaine and beaming yourself up to Scotty, put it right in front of that VO5 hairspray. 
That's a great plan if, if it was TV. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not TV, that plan is not good. Do not follow that plan. Dad, let me tell you something. <laughs> it's going to work. You got to have patience, though. If it doesn't work the first few times, if you end up burning yourself, don't worry about it. You'll get out of ICU. Remember what your mother told you. If you don't succeed the first time, try, try, try again. Yeah, if the guy's going to sit there and wait for you to do it. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gary and Inwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Good morning, Curtis. Listen, as far as the balloon and the second object, I think you're jumping too fast. You need a legitimate amount of time to retrieve, examine, come up with information. But you're looking for instant answers. It's not going to work that way. So if you were to surmise, if you were to imagine what it might have been, Gary, since now there are two objects that have been knocked out of the sky that haven't been described to us like the initial balloon, what do you think they were? Too early to tell. I have no idea. I don't want to second guess. I'm not in a position to do that. Let them do the investigation. Let them retrieve and go through the process. And then if uh, you get a little information at a time, you release it to the public. But it's much too early. You haven't Gary, even retrieved yet. Gary, this You're looking is... looking for instant answers. You can't do that. Gary, this is talk radio. We second guess, third guess, fourth guess. We guess before the baby is even born. Yeah, well, you're doing a good job of third guessing. Exactly. You've got to be responsible, Curtis. You're not doing it that way. Retrieve, examine, investigate, then release it. You're looking for instant answers. Retrieve. Again, I like that, that. Retrieve, examine, investigate. R-E-I. Retrieve, examine, investigate. Retrieve, investigate. And then pull out the, the process. And then pull out the VO5 hairspray and light those suckers up with your flicker. Yeah, you'll be dead on the ground. Telling you, Gary, if it doesn't work, just call me back and let me know, and we'll come up with a new plan. Prepared at all times. I'm telling you, I believe in that. If it doesn't work the first time, try, try, try again. Practice makes perfect. Haven't you ever heard the term practice makes perfect, Avery? You practice with the VO5 hairspray, with the flick big lighter. And torch him up. Pra- I, practice I, makes perfect, Avery. Practice I, makes perfect. And then I slap it out of his hand. That was plan B. <laughs> <laughs> now we got to have a conversation, right? Now, now that's a serious conversation. Me and this guy, I slapped it out of his hand. Now what are we going to do? Do we move on from there, or like, do I just forgive him? Like, what are we doing here? Why are you being so negative? Why, <laughs> why are you looking at the glass as if it is half full, make it at half empty instead of half full, huh? Then he, then he has to explain why he just tried to, like, you know, hit me with the fire. That, that, that's the part you're not telling him about. Well, he's got the orange fluorescent vest. You'll see him like Bambi in the middle of hunting season. Well, you did just you did just try to burn me, so I guess I kind of got to beat you up a little, right? Don't worry about it. Put a salve on it. It'll heal. <laughs> Mr. Old Man, I guess I do have to kind of beat you up a little. You did try to burn me. Let's go to Gregory, who is calling all the way from the heartland of America, the Buckeye State, Ohio. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Gregory? Gregory's gone. 
What? The hell? He's sleeping. Come on, Greg. You can't do this to me. This is an embarrassment. There's nothing worse than for a talk show host or hostess to go to a caller who's been waiting online, and you've been waiting online two hours and 45 minutes to be heard, and now you fell asleep. Can't believe that. Come on, Greg. Where do you live? Ashtabula, Ohio? You live in Toledo, Cleveland, outside of Cleveland? Come on, I've been to all those places. Dayton? Come on, Dayton, Ohio players, come on. How about that? Oh, man, come Oh, Youngstown, Ohio, Warren, Ohio. I've been to all those places. Come on, Gregory. We could have a good old talk about the Buckeye State, Ohio. Oh, God. Father, feel the Spiritu Santo. Eh, what the hell? Go back to sleep. Do you ever actually end up chewing gum and fall asleep while the gum is in your mouth and then you almost choke to death? Do you ever have that happen? You're chewing that wad of Bazooka Joe bubble gum and then all of a sudden you fall asleep and you forget you have the wad of bubble gum in your mouth and then all of a sudden you end up choking out on that bubble gum. Did that ever happen to you or it could have been Wrigley's or Spearmint? Yeah, just like that. What the hell do you do then? I'm sure some of you have had that experience. I sure had that experience years ago. When I get that wad of Bazooka Joe bubblegum, it was so good. The juices that were emanating as you were chewing it over and over like a cow chewing its cud. And then you'd fall asleep and forget you had the wad right in your mouth and you almost choke out. <laughs> 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Rick, who's calling from Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Rick. Yeah, good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Um, about about using homemade weapons, I got in trouble for making one. I, I got to tell you, be careful. I uh, I filled a super soaker with liquid Drino and had it near my door. And my uh, nephew, who's a cop, was visiting and he sees it. He goes, what's that, Uncle Rick? So I tell him. He goes, oh, okay. So as he was leaving, he grabs it. I go, what are you doing with my super soaker? He goes, I'm keeping my uncle out of prison. That's what I'm doing. You can't be doing this crap. And he left. So he got wait, 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 hold on a second, Rick. He invaded the sanctity of your home. Your home. A man yeah, he, is he, the he, king of his castle. Did this cop have a search warrant? You just let him walk out of your house with your super soaker that was packed with Drano? No, he he was my nephew saying he's keeping me out of prison. He goes, you use this. I don't care what the guy did. You're going to prison. Doesn't matter. That would have been grounds for no justice, no peace, or march on the police department. How dare he infringe upon your rights? Stand your ground, Rick. Well, I just want to look now, let me ask it. you a question, Rick. If somebody did a home invasion when your cousin, your nephew, uh, your cop wasn't around, what the hell would he ask you to do? Well, I know. That's why I had it. He told me, get a gun. He goes, you're more likely to get oh, off on a oh, gun charge than you are there. Oh, get a gun, 
but you come up with an innovative way of leaving your mark on somebody. I mean, let's face it. If you had that super soaker and somebody had come through your window or did a home invasion while you were sleeping and you were sleeping side by side with your super soaker and then you just <laughs> flooded them with Drano, they are going to be marked up for the rest of their life. They will always remember you, Rick. Oh, absolutely. By the way, I did buy something. Do you know that they have pepper gas grenades? Do you know that? Wow, a pepper gas grenade. That's yeah, it, it, that's it, almost that's almost psychosexual. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 says it subdues a room in five seconds. Now let me ask you a question: If you happen to have had that exposed on your dinner table as your cousin was coming to visit you. Uh, the police officer, what would he say about that? It's illegal. You could buy them right over the Internet. Wow. That is yeah. so cool. I know. Yeah, I, I mean, if, if they're coming up my, uh, my my hallway, I just throw one out, close the door, and then I'm, I'm done. Oh, that is so cool, Rick. Man, I, 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 I meant it's tonight. It's made by Sabre. It's made I, I, by Sabre. I'm telling you, the few hours of sleep you get because I'm going to take you to the break of dawn, Man, that is better than dreaming about sex. What you would do if they were coming up your your alleyway and you would just release one of those babies right in the alleyway. That's just so good. We could take back America. I'm telling you, Rick, we could win this war against the criminals, against the thugs and thugettes if we would only stand our ground and do what we know is right and not listen to the police. It's our country. You know what? The police are concerned about job security. If all of a sudden we could take care of ourselves, what would we need them for, right? That's true. That's, that's, that's true. They wake up every day and, uh, uh, thanking God for criminals. Let me ask you a question. When that call came from Paul Revere, when he was riding through all those towns in what was soon to become Massachusetts, and he was calling all of the colonialists to arms at Lexington and Concord. Can you imagine if they had super soakers there with Drano in it? I don't know if we would have won, but it would have been a more interesting. Can you imagine if Bunker Hill, which soon followed when the commands came out as the Redcoats were coming up the hill? I actually visited Bunker Hill as a kid. Pretty impressive. As the Brits were coming up Bunker Hill, and they said, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes, and you had your super soakers ready with the Drano. Oh, man, we would have repelled the Brits. I think that's a pretty good uh, weapon, but it's against the law. What do you mean it's against the law? Who said so? <laughs> it is. Rick, Rick, where? You can't, you can't, use, you can't use any caustic, because I, I searched it out, you can't use any caustic material in a weapon that's against the law. That's why even pepper gas, you got to have, like, uh, you know, it's shaky ground. Caustic material, huh? Yeah. Have you ever known a woman who had earned a black belt from Betty Crocker because she could cook to kill and the food she <laughs> served up was caustic? Oh, Curtis, you're like a ping pong ball. Oh, my God. Pink, don't say <laughs> ping pong to Frank Morano. He gets all excited over that playing ping pong. Oh, my God. Have you heard any, uh, any uh, info on how he did tonight? Well, we heard from two... Uh, of our many listeners who happen to have gone there to uh, his performance with Shatner. And apparently uh, Shatner did all the performing. Frank was sitting on his ass just trying to 
sort of like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I'm here with Captain James T. Kirk, William Shatner. And all of a sudden, Shatner had to blow his schnoz. So he reached for the box of Kleenex. Frank gave him the Kleenex. Shatner blew his schnozola into the Kleenex, put it on the table, and Frank grabbed the Kleenex and put it in his pocket protector. And Shatner, oh. yeah, Shatner said to him, what are you going to do with that? You're going to keep that? And Frank nodded his head, yes. Oh, God. God, is he a sickola or what? Oh, God. Anyway, uh, stand for your right to fight, uh, Rick. I mean, think about that. Home invaders are coming into your house, and the only thing between them killing you and your freedom is a super soaker with Drano. Tell me you're not going to spritz them with that, huh? That's pretty weak. That's really weak, man. That's like, that is such a weak spritz. Man, raid sounds uh, more intense than that. Our number is 1-800-8489-222. Remember, the funniest hour in all of radio coming up. Our own Avery, our phone screener, producer at night, has gone through 20 hours of Frank Morano. My God, that's like torture. Uh, of the other side of midnight to come up with the uh, actual statements in his own voice to make him sound like a fool. And when he actually said it, he thought he was bright. I want to hear more, Rihanna. I take on Donald Trump here. How the hell could you attack Rihanna and claim she's a no-talented woman from Barbados, 34 years old, a billionaire, not like the Kardashians. No, the Kardashians, no. Yeah, they're billionaires, but for a different reason. She actually owns a cosmetic company. She's in partnership with the French, and that's how she made the billion dollars. Sure, she made a lot of money selling records, but it was really from the cosmetics. And who is that that we have here? Ronald Lauder, the, yes, the Lauder Foundation. Or the queen of perfume or whatever the hell you call that stuff. Uh, what I call turlet water. Sweet water, you know, like uh, that old spice, that high karate. Oh, my God. Talk about lighting up uh, a match near anybody who has splashed themselves, spritzed themselves with old spice or high karate. We'll all be blown to kingdom come. That's turlet water. Sweet water. That's right. Sing it, Rihanna. Because you know someone who's going to hate that Donald Trump. Come on. How can you hate this Donald Trump? You used to own the casinos in Atlantic City. All three of them where the rappers couldn't wait to line up to do videos with you in the video. And the only reason you don't like Rihanna is she said bad things about you. Hey, excuse me. Join the club. This is America. Free speech. That should not necessarily impact, though. On the music itself. How many times have you out there in our audience not liked what have somebody had to say? Perfect example, Pink Floyd, right? Roger Waters, right? I don't like his politics. Great music. Can't, can't deny it. We played Pink Floyd here. Should I not play Pink Floyd because I don't like Waters? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 
WABC. Another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. think this is good music? What is wrong with the Donald? Yeah, take to the dance floor, whirling dervishes. Come on, give her props. Nobody's going to sleep to the break of dawn, ladies and gentlemen. You'll have plenty of time to sleep when the Super Bowl is on because right after the uh, first quarter, Mahomes, they'll be taking him out on a gurney. It'll be over. I'm telling you, I've seen the look in the defensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles, who I hate, I loathe, I despise. They're killers. They're killers. Should we give him a second chance? Should we give him the daily double? Calling from the heartland of America, the Buckeye State, Ohio. I don't know if it's Youngstown, Warren. I don't know if it's Dayton. I don't know if it's Cleveland, Toledo. I don't even know if it's Ashtabula. But we'll give Gregory another go at it. Gregory, where are you calling from, pray tell? Steubenville. Oh, Steubenville, home of Dean Martin and Jimmy the Greek. Yes. I'm sorry that we disconnected on that first uh, go-round. I understand you were on the phone waiting two hours and 34 minutes. Bad me. Bad me. I wish you would quit playing that song because I used to bang a chicken tile into that song. Used to... I used to make love to a beautiful young woman in Bangkok, Thailand, and that was her favorite song. So we would make love to it. You went to Bangkok? I've been there 15 times, almost moved over there. Now, explain to us, from Steubenville, Ohio, which is a rough town now, uh, why you wouldn't move to Thailand, uh, which is basically a red-light district. Oh, I love the country, and uh, my family's taught me. i got six grandkids now, so I had a house over there and everything, so beautiful now, country. Explain to us the things about Thailand that we don't really understand, because our perception is there's elephants who do art, 
there's temp yes. there's temples, there's gold, and then there's underage hookers and prostitutes who you don't necessarily know if they're men, women, or non binary. All that. All that. I've ridden elephants in the jungle. I slept with a Bengal tiger because I love animals. Hold on a second. You slept, Gregory, with a Bengal tiger? Yes. Was the Bengal tiger fed before it slept with you? They shoot him up with Demerol. What do you mean they shoot him up with Demerol? They shoot him up with Demerol, and you can go in a cage and lay right next to him, feel him breathing and next to you, and they take pictures. You're I'll kidding. You no. Wow. I've ridden elephants, I've ridden elephants in the jungle. Uh, they paint. They paint portraits. You can buy a portrait. I have a portrait that an elephant painted. So uh, the, you, you had an elephant take a easel and paint a picture that you purchased? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where yeah, they're very you, smart animals. Where do you, you know, have, an elephant? Yes, go ahead. you ride an elephant, when you ride an elephant. Okay. When you ride an elephant, he'll reach up with his with his nose and he'll make a picture of your face in his mind. And six months later, when you go to ride him again, he'll reach back up and he'll feel your face and he'll know who you are. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Now. <laughs> the reason I called. Yes. I've got two things to tell you. First of all, what would I tell you if we have a object sitting off the coast of Myrtle Beach that has a nuclear warhead in it or a nuclear bomb in it. They don't know how to defuse it. So that initial balloon that transported itself all across the country, you think had maybe a dirty bomb in it? Uh, Self-destruction. Hmm. And they're trying to figure out. No, no, they're trying to figure out how to disarm it because – they sent divers. They, remember, they said they sent divers down that were uh, disarm bombs. Yes. Well, right now they're sending ROVs down there because what you have sitting off the coast of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, could be a tsunami. Wow, I, I, I never even contemplated that, Greg. Well, let me tell you something. I was I've been in Phuket. I was in Phuket after they had the tsunami, and I was in Tokyo after they had the tsunami, and that's what we may have sitting right off the coast, maybe out in Alaska too. That's why they're keeping quiet about it, because they're trying to find out how to disuse this damn thing. I'm trying to figure out how you're a world traveler, but each time you come back to Steubenville, Ohio. <laughs> That's a funny story. I can't, I, you don't have all night for me to explain to you. No, no, but I, it's fascinating to me because you certainly are a world traveler. You certainly are aware of a lot of things out there from personal experiences but after all those experiences, and I got to tell you, they're better than Steubenville, Ohio. I've been there. What yeah. the hell brings you back to Steubenville, Ohio? Family. Well, okay, Family. I can't. I can't argue with that, right? I, that's yeah. un-American. If I were to say what, well, I was I, I was in the Air Force and I was a crew chief on a C-130, and I've been all over the world. I've been Germany, Italy, Turkey. I've been all over the world. So I got married, had a couple kids. And I got divorced in 2005, and I fell in love with a girl talking to her on Skype from Bangkok, Thailand. And I said, where's Bangkok, Thailand? So I flew over there, and I've been there 15 times. Beautiful country. I can live there easy. Yeah. So this came came all about from Skyping. Yeah. 
I talked to the girl for six months, and then uh, I flew over there and met her. And it's a whole different ball game when you you know meet somebody like that. You talked to her for six months on Skype, you know. Now and I fell in love with her. I almost got married, and I almost got married twice over there. So it's, I, what can I say? What can I say? But anyway. now, 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 Greg, did you bring her back uh, to the United States? Too expensive. What do you mean it's too expensive? If you this is Valentine's Day weekend, if you loved her, wouldn't you do anything within your power to bring her back? Ask all them guys who live down in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. All them army guys that bring their girls back. They only have to be the strippers. I know, but we're not talking a mail order bride here who is just going to use you for her purposes of getting to the United States, earning a green card, and then dropping you like a bad habit. Oh, yeah, they do it every whole time. It costs you five thousand dollars, probably about ten now to get them over here. Yeah, wow, wow. I know about it. And so, yeah, I know a guy. I know a guy. He got divorced. He was uh, his wife died. He his wife died. He's about fifty-five years old. He worked. He worked with me. He worked a lot overtime, and he uh, met a girl from China, and she showed up at the airport in Pittsburgh with a suitcase. That's the only thing she owned. And now he's got like seven of them living with her sister, her grand, this sister, that aunt. You know, they're just milk, milking blind. It's all right, just terrible. All right, all right Morano, stop. Talk about yourself. Don't bring everybody else to this. <laughs> hey, I'm the banana man. I'm the one that called Frank the other night, and I said, you ate sweet was banana. Wow, so you hey, were the one. Back. You were the one that caused him to have to fess up. Yeah, he said he was doing it to uh, protect communities standards or something stupid like that. Boy, I'm telling you. I don't know what I told him. We used to leave poop sandwiches uh, in the in the, in the uh, refrigerator in our lunch because guys would steal sandwiches, so we put poop in them and put them in there, and that was the end of that. <laughs> My buddy used to come to work. He'd come to work with a big sub, and then uh, we would go to work down the job, you know, and he'd come back at lunchtime and be gone. He'd be so mad. I said, Billy, give me that sandwich. I'll take, give me a sandwich, and I'll take it home, and I'll fix it. So I brought it home, and I took one of my big dogs. I had a big dog, one of the big turds. Put it in that sandwich and covered it with the cheese and lettuce. We put it back in the refrigerator. That was the end of the food stealer. <laughs> well, I like this. We're really discussing some great vigilante ways of getting back at people, and this is certainly one of them. Oh, I want to tell you, too, I went to Sumbo Catholic Central. I played football. We were taught how to take out a guy's leg. That's right. Yeah, and, and, I and step on a guy. Right. I, I could step on a guy, and I get a big smile on my face. I hear him back here grunt, because I just stepped on him. I know he's done. Now, now, Gregory, and then when you're in the locker room, the coach is telling you, he's saying, now, look, uh, guys, I want to make, make it clear that everybody – should be able to go home the same way they come came to the field. Then when they're out on the field and you're behind by a touchdown, I don't care what you got to do, break the guy's leg, right? We, we would take bets in the locker room. Who's going to take the quarterback out first? Oh, that's New Orleans Saints style, right? Yeah. It, it, oh, yeah, and I was a Catholic boy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Was, was your coach putting a bounty on the quarterback? Yep. Yep. Man, you see, yeah. this is the reality. People don't want to know these things. They say, you shouldn't allow prayer in football. Coach should not be able to say a prayer. Let him say a prayer because five minutes later, he's going to say, break his leg. Even if the turf was dry, we would have to wear spikes because we used our spikes to step on a guy's ankle. You're right.
Oh, yeah, I see a guy. I'm running down the field. He, he rolled down in front of me, and I see his ankle, and I step right on it. Good boy. That's getting good. Well, that's right, and that's the problem that Patrick Mahomes has. He's got that high-strained ankle. That's probably what happened to him. You ever see where you drop a mouse in a box of snakes? Man. That's what Mahomes is going to be here. That's what he's going to be like tomorrow. Listen to, listen to all the subjects that y'all have covered in this phone call. Like, well, well, we started with Thailand. Oh, you, you, were, you, you started off in Thailand. We started with Putang in Thailand. That's yeah. what we were talking about. And then, it turned, then it turned into with tigers and, and, and elephants. That's right, because uh, we, traveled, we traveled the world, Avery. This is no, yeah. this, this is this is yeah. an interesting phone yeah. call. Like, I mean, hey, wonder, baby, if I told you you had twenty minutes to get out of New York City because there's tsunami coming. Okay. Would well, you know how to function, Avery? This man knows how to function, Gregory. He's dealt with tsunamis in Thailand and Japan. And then he turn and then he goes back to Steubenville to work the filling station. <laughs> no. no. No, in fact, I used to be an electrical engineer. Okay, just to, just to straighten you out, Avery. What I would use, what I would use on them bicycles is horn spray. That's what we use out here in the country. Oh wait, explain how that works. This is exciting to me. The horn, horn spray has about a ten foot spray. Man, that bike guy's come by on that bicycle, and you give him a little squirt in the face. You won't see him. He'll run out and trap and get hit. Sub- see that? Subject thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, Gregory, you're on fire this morning. Hey, put it, put it, hey, take that banana, just open it up a little bit and slide the next slack in and leave it for the man. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Gregory. <laughs> then you play Rihanna after it. <laughs> Stupidville, Ohio's finest, Gregory. Produced for us at one time, Jimmy the Greek, Dean Martin. You'll be hearing Dean Martin, 8 o'clock hour coming up. And then remember, I come back first at 3 to 5 after the lunar parade that I'll be marching in in Chinatown with the Guardian Angels. I'm here from 3 to 5, then flip the script. I come back from 9 to 11, and then the most listened to, the most called in, the most requested of all the hours that we do here at WABC on the weekend when WABC stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. And then it's the Animal Welfare Hour 11 and 12, starring my wife, Nancy. And, yes, we have a new video broadcast. All you have to do is go to YouTube, Red Apple Media. You will see the first half-hour presentation of Nancy building houses for feral cats. It's almost like Bob Villa, right? You know, he's doing home repairs. Nancy is doing repairs on the houses for the feral cats. It doesn't get any better than that. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Oofah!
It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Chiquita banana and I come to say I come from Little Island down equator way I feel I'm big a banana boat from Calabi to see if I can help good neighbor holidays. I bring a song about bananas. I sing it low, I sing it high, yeah, yeah, and if you keep with Americanos, sing a song about bananas. I can sing about the moonlight on the very, very tropical equator. So I sing about bananas. Herman Miranda singing about my Chiquita banana that was purloined by Frank Morano. We are now entering that time that is the funniest hour in all of radio, once a week, every Sunday morning from 4 to 5. It is uh, prepared by Avery, our phone screener and nighttime producer of the best side of the other side of midnight. And Avery... uh, Let's start clicking through 20 hours of broadcast that Frank Morano was involved in in his nationally syndicated show with his dysfunctional crew. But uh, apparently there was a uh, caller who has spoken with Frank on rare occasion and spoken with me at length, just like I spoke with our friend there, Gregory, from uh, Steubenville, Ohio, Grateful to me and angry at Frank. Fred, uh, what's on your mind? Why did we upset you? I've been posted in your room a long time about the, the song Between Breaks, the guitar riff. I, I've been posted in there that it was a Scorpion song for years. And, and then I called in Saturday to Curtis. He put me through. He gave me a nice long segment. He explained the whole thing. And then I finally went on the message board. I said, finally, somebody listened to me about that Scorpion song, Between the Breaks. Fred, what Scorpion song do we play every night? There's a break between songs where there's a guitar riff. I've tried to call into your show and say it, and they never put me through. I try to post it on the message board, and no one ever cares. I finally got through to Curtis. He, <laughs> he made a big deal out of it. And I just try to flash my peacock feathers in the room, and I got no well, attention I, I, again. I do remember that post regarding Curtis's show in Scorpion, and... The one, I declined it because it was about something that happened on Curtis's show, not ours. Oh, wow. Man, Frank, a little understanding, man. <laughs> man, that's, that's, that's why if you mistreat your audience enough, they're going to they're gonna look elsewhere, man. I know poor Fred was trying desperately to get this across <laughs> to everyone that matters here at WABC. And what did Frank, Frank just locked him down, just shut him down. Frank said, no, who is this? Get out of my face. Unbelievable. And it was great because, remember, we played the music. We didn't understand it at first. Then we played it. Took the time. We back-scratched it. Yes. We heard it in all of its forms, and he, Fred was absolutely 1,000% correct. Correct. He was absolutely correct. And and all his his efforts paid off. And here's Frank Morano never answering his call, finally deciding to answer it. 
And then challenging him, well, you know, your, your comment was about the best side of the other side of midnight, so I wasn't going to post that on the worst side of the other side of midnight. But when the guy starts talking about how he did it on, on here, then Frank perked up. Frank, exactly. got, Frank got interested in. <laughs> <laughs> like he got interested in branding himself to be like Pat Buchanan, Ralph Nader, and Rand Paul. I used to be a lonely voice in the wilderness on this issue, saying, excuse me, hey, maybe we should think twice before giving all sorts of weapons and money to buy weapons uh, to Ukraine as they fight the country with the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons on the earth. It was me. I was considered a fringe lunatic, along with the likes of uh, uh, Rand Paul and, uh, you know, whoever, Ralph Nader and Pat Buchanan, right? It was the four of us versus the world. What was that, like the four horsemen? Ric yeah. Flair and the, the, four, the four horsemen? The three of them, and then you trying to jump into the cab with them. <laughs> <laughs> four, what, are, what are three people I know and one person I don't know? Yeah, exactly. It's Rand Paul. Okay, we got Okay, it. got that. Ralph Nader. Got that. I know him. Uh, Pat Buchanan. That's it. Frank Morano. Who? Hold on. Let me check my other list. <laughs> you mind telling me what this is all about, mister? <laughs> he, he's not on this list. Let me check my other list. Oh, my God. <laughs> and all this uh, moral outrage, you know. I'm a fringe lunatic. Well, you are, Frank. Mm -hmm. It was just us four against the world, locking arms. Let me tell you something. I hope Frank does not do a post-Oscar show about the award winners. <laughs> because listen to this. Once you hear this, you'll say you never want this guy to discuss movies again. One was, um, one was Academy Award-winning actor Jack Lemmon, and the other was um, a man that probably should have won an Academy Award, but he didn't do enough movies. <laughs> Gary Coleman from Different Strokes, also, of course, a former California gubernatorial candidate. Number one, if you say Gary Coleman from the, his TV show, then he should not have been have Oscar consideration if you can't even say a movie that he was from. Can you believe this? Out of all the qualified actors and actresses out there who maybe were on the cusp of uh, being considered for an Oscar, Gary Coleman does not make the cut. Like, you don't say Will Smith from Fresh Prince should get an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Gary Coleman as much as the next guy. You know, you know what you're talking about, Willis, is, I laughed at that. But Oscar consideration? Like, what movie has he done to, to get an Oscar consideration? My God, you know, Frank just loves to be a contrarian. That's why he does it. I mean, he might actually like, I don't know, he might actually like the kid. And then he gets locked up into these word battles where he, he makes it like a passionate mission of his, and he wants everybody to drop everything they're doing and jump on board the SS Frank Morano. I saw the numbers. If everyone in this audience was serious about taking this pledge that I'm asking you to take, to use the phrase semi-weekly and mean it to mean, intend it to mean twice a week, we could end this bi-weekly crisis once and for all. So join me. Don't do it on a semi-weekly or semi-monthly basis. Do it daily. If everybody would join this pledge, everybody join me in this pledge, people. What the hell is he talking about? And something that don't mean anything, man. Well, it's like uh, we've always said, the Frank Morano show is like Costanza. It's like Seinfeld, a show about nothing. 
Yeah, okay. Imagine. <laughs> he's spending a whole segment talking about the biweekly crisis versus calling it semi-monthly. I thought he was going to say, we could, if we all get together, we can stop world hunger, but I guess that's not a big enough subject. <laughs> we got we to tackle the bi-weekly thing first before we go after world hunger. And he's serious about this. And so Sam from Brooklyn calls him up and straightens him out on this. Sam is in Brooklyn. Hello, Sam. Melissa, uh, you said that bi-weekly and semi-monthly are the same thing. They're not the same thing because... Yeah, 13 weeks and three months. Well, that's so. true. When I say bi-weekly and uh, Dr. Sky says bi-monthly, it's the same number of appearances, right? I don't know. No, it is an over a period of a couple of uh, <laughs> No, no, no. February. Stay that way. February, right? February. So February, February, it's going to be the same period of time <laughs> apart. Yeah. But, but eventually it's going to differ because it's going to be uh, 26 times if it's uh, – Bi-weekly and 24 times if it's semi-monthly. This is true. You're you're right. That that, that pesky math, huh, Frank? (laughs) If it wasn't for math, you you could get a lot of stuff past the people. You could slip a lot of stuff in there if it wasn't for that pesky math. Oh, my God. Well, just February then. Okay. What the hell is that conversation about? What about the other 11 months, Frank? (laughs) Well, just February. Give me February at least. Oh, no. Good, oh. good job, Frank. And then talks about possibly being exterminated by robots with artificial intelligence. Individuals, private sector, big tech companies, and government. How can we kind of, I don't know that we can make sure, but what can we do to try not to be exterminated by AI? Isaac Asimov, <laughs> first rules of robotics. Rule number one is that a robot, and I'm considering artificial intelligent computers to be robots. Of course. That robots shall not, as a matter of law, as a matter of algorithmic law, shall not kill, cause grievous harm, or through their inaction, allow the death or grievous harm to human beings. That's the first rule of Asimov's robotics. Huh? We impose that rule. We impose that rule that is one step in the right direction. That's the first step in the right direction. But this is a serious show. This is what I keep telling you, Curtis. Like, what kind of show is this? Frank is 100% serious. He looks at his, he, he he's really concentrating. This is the questions he'd research. Um, tell us how we could stop the movie Terminator from happening for real. <laughs> how can we? Huh? Tell, tell me how we can get the machines not to annihilate us. All right. I'll, th- I'll throw this one to you, Doc. So this guy is like, you know, a professorial. You know, he's one of these brainiac experts. I, 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 can I hear that again? I, I want to hear this again. It's like, how can we keep robots from exterminating us? Individuals, private sector, big tech companies, and government. How can we... Kind of, I don't know that we can make sure, but what can we do to try not to be exterminated by AI? Isaac Asimov's first rules of robotics. Rule number one is that a robot, and I'm considering artificial intelligent computers to be robots, that robots shall not, as a matter of law, as a matter of algorithmic law, shall not kill, cause grievous harm, 
or through their inaction allowed the death or grievous harm to human beings. That's the first rule of Asimov's robotics. No, that's a bad we robot. Impose that rule. <laughs> that's we a bad, that that bad one robot. In the right direction. <gasps> what are you doing? What are you doing? What, what bad is, robot. What is algorithmic law? <laughs> yeah, Frank acts like he understands that, right? Oh, come on. Instead of asking him, uh, excuse me, Professor, what do you mean by algorithmic law? <laughs> Frank is just probably nodding his head and scratching his belly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us how we won't get annihilated by, the, when, the, by when the machines rise up, please. <laughs> You're right for mentioning Terminator. How the hell do you prevent a Schwarzenegger Terminator to, uh, to descend upon the Earth? And come to ex- extinguish you. And will there be, and will there be a Schwarzenegger type character to come back from the future to save us all? I throw it back to you, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> and your answer to this question would be, <laughs> that's a good question, Frank. I'm glad you asked me that. <laughs> On this serious show you have. Uh, uh, oh, he does get the brainiacs. You know, he gets them with their parchments, their PhDs from Carnegie Mellon, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. They're all omnipotent, pretentious, uh, obstinate, full of themselves. I love this. The algorithm law. What the hell is that? And that'll be a first step. If we can do it. And, you know, he threw that in there. If we can do it. Now, how do we stop the the machines from annihilating us if it's possible? I can see uh, Alvin Bragg citing the algorithm law and not prosecuting the robot (laughs) with artificial intelligence who just killed Frank Marano. And then, of course, there's the most pressing issue, the price of a dozen eggs, which I think is up to about $19 But all of a sudden, uh, Frank wanted to boycott eggs because I told you he has alligator arms and he throws nickels around like manhole covers. I told my uh, my, uh, wife again over the weekend that that I'm not eating eggs. She asked Sunday, you know, I'm going to make breakfast. Do you want eggs? And I said, no, no, thank you. Uh, I'm not eating eggs until the price comes down. (laughs) And she said to me a couple things. She said, one... Do you see the money that you waste on absolutely everything? The one thing that you're going to cut out is your favorite food? I said, yes. Yes, that's right. I did get an email, by the way, about some egg prices that are very competitive that I'm looking into. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, he found some black market Russian eggs. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to go hunt them down somewhere in Brooklyn. He got he, he, caught, he caught an egg contact. He, he hoped his pans out. You know... Last week, there was an egg salad sandwich that was left in the kitchen. And I knew it was Frank Morano's or from one of his relatives that he was walking around with. You know, he always has like an egg salad sandwich in his pockets. Who cares? And he left it in the kitchen. So I retrieved it, wrote his name on it, brought it over to Alex, his brown-nosed producer, with his schnoz right up his tuchus. And, you know, Frank ate the egg salad sandwich but never said thank you. Man, who, who, does, how, who cares if he's boycotting eggs? Like, what, like why, what, what purpose does that have, a little, little egg Gandhi? 
<laughs> I am not buying boycotting eggs until the prices drop. He's going to have a march to the farm there, the chicken farm, you know, like uh, Gandhi against the salt tax. He already, he already explored that option. His wife shut that down. <laughs> he wanted to keep a chicken in his bedroom. <laughs> oh, and now what I've been railing about for days and days and days. First of the many episodes until we clean this all up. <laughs> Banana Gate. As you heard, the introductory song was Chiquita Banana, a song made famous by Carmen Maranda. But Frank, I know, stole my Chiquita Banana. And just to put this in context, the other morning I was sitting with our uh, president of Red Apple Media. It's our parent company of uh, WABC. And he's second only to uh, John and Marco Katsimatidis, our owners and operators. That's Chad Lopez, our capo di tutti. And we were talking for about a half hour. And then Chad looked over, and there were three bananas there. And he said, Curtis, whose bananas are those? And I said, they're mine, Chad. He goes, could I have one of them, please? I said, of course. Take as many as you'd like. Here's the guy who could fire all of us in a heartbeat. He's asking permission to have a banana. Frank Morano? No. He sees it. He takes it. I knew it was him. I knew it was him. And then he decided to do a segment, and this is what really got me upset, because it was like he was rubbing banana in my face. How to peel a banana like a pro with the monkey method. Evidently. To peel a banana like a pro, you should really be doing it like the monkeys do. You hold the banana stem side down and pinch the top firmly with your fingertips until it tears. And then you pull back on the peel and presto, a ready-to-eat banana is revealed. And the still intact stem creates a nice little handle. And there's no fumbling oh or God. prompting to get the last little bit out because I have noticed that's a problem. And sometimes, believe it or not, it stops me from having a banana. Even better, what they call the monkey method of peeling from the non-stem end means those nasty stringy bits are a thing of the past, which I've also always had a little bit of a problem with. So, This is good stuff, boy. I'm telling you, he covers everything in his show. <laughs> The monkey method of of, of of eating a banana. Wait, where else would you get that? <laughs> where else would you get that? The monkey method of eating a banana. <laughs> this is it. Walk you through it. Last last week, last week he walked the guy through wiping himself. Now we do. Now he's walking you through how to eat a banana. I mean, look, Frank covers it all. <laughs> And then he had to admit it finally. Walls were closing and HR was investigating this uh, to the point where um, it might have uh, cost him a suspension. So he fessed up on the most powerful news talk radio station in the nation on the overnight, the other side of midnight, a nationally syndicated show. He had no choice but to fess up to a nation, to a world of listeners. I have stolen a banana which is believed to belong to Curtis Lewa.
It was found in the studio, which Curtis is now claiming in a very Putin-esque manner as his office. Man. Wow, Putin-esque. What was that with that that mob uh, wording? Either you stole it or you didn't. Like, it's Curtis's banana or it it isn't. Wow, he's Putin-esque. Putin-esque. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about the studio. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A couple of quick notes here. One, I did get hungry, and uh, just about a minute and a half ago, I consumed a banana that is believed to have been, uh, uh, believed to belong to Curtis Slewa. However, it was not labeled, and we now have signage up here telling people very specifically, put your name and the date on your food in any common area. Otherwise, it's Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. It's all up for grabs. I have to tell you, it was great. This is my Saul of Tarsus moment. I'm telling you, Curtis. <laughs> he's ba- he got somebody backing him. Like he, he, grew a, he, grew, he grew a backbone, and he's throwing it in your face now. Whew. Then he's talking about Mad Max. Yeah, I'm telling you, he took some karate lessons, I'm telling you. (laughs) When you have a guest on who you generally agree with, do you feel a responsibility to push back on that guest when they say things that are not correct, controversial, or that are in line with things that they've said in the past that has proven to be 100% wrong? Yeah, well, give me an an instance yesterday in what current... My nephew's grandmother is in Zaporizhia. The building across the street from her was blown up in a Russian missile attack. So this is personal. He constantly puts down our military. He said the Chinese are not a threat to the United States. You didn't push back on any of that stuff. Well, because, Colonel, I mean, uh, David, that's because the colonel is – is a decorated uh, veteran who, with a Ph.D. who's been in combat, who's been um, decorated by the military, and who was a senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense. So he, he, uh, who am I to question what he's saying? Look, man, I'm telling you, Frank, let me, let me interpret that. This guy can kill me with his thumb. <laughs> I am not going to question this guy and his, on his expertise. This guy knows two million ways. Huh? This guy knows two million ways to kill me. I am not questioning this man because he's he, because he might be on the other side of uh, sanity. Now this is exactly what one of our previous callers talked about. Remember when he mentioned the colonel Frank uh, Morano with the colonel, and boy, uh, the caller David from the Bronx really blistered Frank. If you notice, he was like, "Can I hear that again? I want to hear David from the Bronx just rip Frank Morano a new tuchus." When you have a guest on who you generally agree with, do you feel a responsibility to push back on that guest when they say things that are not correct, controversial, or that are in line with things that they've said in the past that has proven to be 100 percent wrong? Yeah, well, like, give, me an, give me an instance yesterday in okay. what current— My nephew's grandmother is in Zaporizhia. The building across the street from her was blown up in a Russian missile attack. So this is personal. He constantly puts down our military. He mm. said the Chinese are not a threat to the United States. Uh, uh, you didn't push back on any of that stuff. Well, and because, like, Colonel, I mean, uh, David, that's because he, the Colonel is 
is a decorated <laughs> veteran who, with a Ph.D., decorated. who's been in combat, who's been um, decorated by the military, and is a senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense. So he, he, uh, who am I to question what he's saying? God, he's afraid this guy would come and kill him. He's a decorated military train, and then he said decorated again. <laughs> this guy don't huh? play. I was scared, David. <laughs> he said decorated train and then decorated again. <laughs> you 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 questioned him, Dave. Huh? You feeling froggy? You jump. <laughs> if it wasn't for Carmine, I would have jumped. If it wasn't for Carmine, I would have took him on. Anyway, our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's 1-800-848-WABC, but when we come back, it's Frank Morano on the person that he adores, he loves, he idolizes, he worships, Captain Kirk, a.k.a. William Shatner, who he appeared with back-to-back, belly-to-belly, two nights in a row in New Jersey, before many of our listeners. Our number is 1-800-848-9222, if you happen to be at any of those performances, either in Red Bank or in Englewood Cliffs, please give us a call and let us know specifically how did uh, Captain Kirk, a.k.a. William Shatner, do? And more importantly, how did the uh, questionnaire, the Inquisitor, do our own Frank Morano? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. How many others have you done this to? What gives you the right... To hand out life and death. Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. One of the many theme songs of Frank Morano, the Mama Luke, of the other side of midnight. In fact, I have taken his recommendations, uh, Avery, uh, phone screener and nighttime producer, and the man responsible for bisecting and dissecting 20 hours worth of Frank Morano's rumblings and rantings, and then uh, creating the funniest hour in radio. I have uh, the last Chiquita banana in my hand that Frank has not purloined. And I am peeling this banana like a pro with the monkey method that Frank Morano had described. And it actually is uh, working quite well. It's a lot more efficient than what I normally do. But now to the uh, two-day back-to-back belly-to-belly extravaganza like the Daily Double, in which Frank Morano had his wet dream come true 
to be able to sit on a stage with his idol, his hero, a person he role models himself after, William Shatner. And by the way, this fits because remember last week when you did your bisection and dissection of Frank Morano, he said his normal friends are in their 80s and 90s and Shatner will soon be 92. Yes, he did. And oh boy, this guy, Frank Morano, has so many ideas of what sitting on a stage and asking William Shatner questions is going to lead to. But first, let's uh, let's get into Frank, uh, who is so excited in the lead up to these last two days sitting on a stage with William Shatner, Captain Kirk. So we've been talking about the uh, upcoming show uh, this weekend, shows that I'm doing with William Shatner. And if you're not familiar with that, I'm really excited about this. Uh, Really, if I got to, uh, if I was ever terminally ill, which I hope that I never am, but this would be pretty close to the wish that I would have, to be able to go on stage with William Shatner and ask him questions about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It's still pretty tough for me to believe. That's your last wish? Nothing about your family? Nothing about your, 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 your mom, your kid, your wife? That's the last wish you go with, huh? And this is on Monday. This is on Monday, Curtis, mind you. This is on Monday. Okay, so Monday and then to the actual day uh, that he was going to get on that stage with William Shatner, Friday, his last uh, performance of the week. Maybe he amended it. Maybe he thought twice about it. Maybe After a week, after getting pressured by people, reminded that he left his family out. <laughs> maybe he amended it and made it seem uh, a little more uh, than just him and William Shatner. It's unbelievable what you did. I mean, I forget that, that's a silly analogy. It just shows. No, what I agree. Of, I, I, I view it exactly the same way. Honestly, if um, if I was terminally ill, God forbid, <laughs> and I got a wish, like an end of life wish, this would probably be it, right? To be able to be on stage and talk with about Star yeah. Trek with William Shatner for an hour. He doubled down. <laughs> <laughs> he doubled down and. I like that he assumes that when he's terminally terminally ill, he's assuming that Shatner's still with us. Because Shatner lives forever. Shatner doesn't go nowhere. Shatner's forever. Shatner's 91 now. And when Frank's old and, and, and terminally ill, Shatner will still be with us. But remember, Frank said last week his friends are in their 80s and 90s. True. But he's. I'm assuming that he's thinking that he's in old, he's in old age in this scenario. And Shatner, I'm, look, Shatner 91 now, you know, hey, maybe maybe he has a hologram of Shatner in his room. But wait a second. He had a chance to amend this. He had a chance to rethink this. I'm sure he got badgered and hounded oh, yeah. for making that statement about how <laughs> it was a dream come true. And if only one thing left in life, that's what he wanted to do. Can we hear him describe that again? A Friday, he had a chance to amend that. And he doubled down. That's unbelievable what you did. I mean, I forget that, that that's a silly analogy. It just shows. No, what I agree. Of, I, I, I view it exactly the same way. Honestly, if um, if I was terminally ill, God forbid, and I got a wish, like an end of life wish, this would probably be it, right? To be able to be on stage and talk with about Star Trek with William Shatner. Not five more minutes. Five more minutes with my family. If if I had a wish, I would take five more minutes with Young Carmine. <laughs> 
so I can tell them all about the world and the wisdom and impart my wisdom before I go. Nope. Nope. Shatner. <laughs> Shatner. Shatner, Shatner, Shatner. And then this is his distraction from Shatner as it is most weeks. As you know, his obsession with Tulsi Gabbard, congresswoman in white, led to her thinking he was a stalker. Then Selena Gomez, the same thing. Pam Anderson. Pam Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) The same thing. Wouldn't do an interview with him. Then uh, Cinema, the senator in Arizona, who who he was uh, really excited when he heard she was bisexual. And then when he heard, uh, saw her wearing that Big Bird outfit at the uh, State of the Union address, he got even more excited. But now he's he's obsessed with this woman named Diana Falzone. Diana Falzone. I don't I don't know if she's still a model, but she was a model back in the day. I think she might still be a model. Diana Falzone is one of the most beautiful women in the world, and uh, today she turns forty years old. She has that kind of classic old school movie star look, <laughs> and uh, she's actually on the cover of Metropolitan Magazine uh, this week, and uh, you could see exactly what I mean. Uh, 40 years old, first magazine cover, and getting Sweet Freedom by Michael McDonald Playton. Here's to you, here's to you, Diana. What was Sweet Freedom with Michael McDonald Playton? <laughs> and, and he said I aged like twice. Like, I know that's not cool. Now, what does Rachel think of this? Look, he, like I, I, I've, I've thought about this, and there has to have been some kind of conversation at home about the way he talks about these women on his show. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's, like, salivating. <laughs> and he doesn't just go, she's pretty. He goes all out. Yeah, like, like a movie starlet, like Lauren Bacall, you know, like somebody from the 30s or 40s, you know, getting an Academy Award. I saw her hair once at 7.12 p.m., and the and the, the setting sun was bouncing off of it. <laughs> It was beautiful. It was very beautiful. But notice, once he develops these obsessions, he'll talk about it morning, noon, and night. So now she gets added to the pack. Tulsi Gabbard, <laughs> Selena Gomez, yeah. Pam Anderson, uh-huh. uh, Cinema, yep. the bisexual senator with the Big Bird outfit on that she wore at the State of the hey, Union this, address. Hey, this group started off as a sedan, and now it's a minivan. <laughs> It's going to turn into a school bus. <laughs> <laughs> and now a woman named, what's her name again? Falzone, right? Yeah. God, you think she'll ever do an interview with Frank Morano on the radio? I don't think so. Is she like, well, aren't you married, Frank? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Am I? <laughs> I mean, you know, you call it. (laughs) She's on the front cover of Metropolitan Magazine. Oh, God, you think he's got that hanging on his wall? (laughs) Or on the ceiling? No, 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 please say it ain't so, Avery. He doesn't have the picture of Diane Falzone on the ceiling. I don't know. I don't put anything past him. I don't know. The question is, what does he tell Rachel? (sighs) (laughs) And then... He's talking about putting putting people's business out there for others to listen about. And let me announce this as a general rule to my friends, to anybody that I encounter. (laughs) If you don't want something said on the radio, when you tell me, say, off the record or 
don't say this or whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm just so over everyone that I know telling me these interesting stories and then all of a sudden acting shocked when I repeat them on the air. No, I'm going to repeat them on the air. You know why? Because life is preparation and fodder for this show. Man, look, this to me, this is one of the most important like like clips I've ever had to get. Frank, this like I I respect you for this one. Frank said, "Look, I'm telling. No, <laughs> <laughs> forget it. We all know it by now. Let's just put it out there. I am telling. Stop telling me stuff and expecting me to keep it in confidence. I am going to tell. If you whisper in my ear at the party, everybody is going to know who Timmy's real father is. I am telling. Don't tell me something you don't want everybody to know. Life." Is fodder for the show. We have to hear this again. This is a classic. Hey, Reed, this was an excellent job of you uh, basically uh, taking a suture <laughs> and, and and attaching this to everything else he said because he's almost defiant here. And let me announce this as a general rule to my friends, to anybody that I encounter. If you don't want something said on the radio, when you tell me, say off the record, or don't say this, or whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm just so over everyone that I know telling me these interesting stories and then all of a sudden acting shocked when I repeat them on the air. No, I'm going to repeat them on the air. You know why? Because life is preparation and fodder for this show. Oh, my God, defiant. Listen up, everybody. (laughs) I'm going to put your laundry out there on the street. And they're still going to tell him, too. We, yep. We've been begging them not to tell. My Don't tell God, him anything. this guy is a, a washwoman, a yenta. But now they know. They can't, they can't claim ignorance anymore. And then Frank falls into his curiosity. They kill the cat. Can I say that? Curiosity killed the cat. Well, uh, Nancy getting upset with me. Anything having to do with sex or freaky deaky sex? They say a pineapple is the symbol of being a swinger or a couple that's a swinger. I'd always heard that. So anyway, my wife and I are at this uh, party a couple weeks ago. Oh, boy. (laughs) And she ends up talking with my friend's wife. And uh, they end up talking about how some... My wife mentions how someone in our neighborhood has Adirondack chairs. And my friend's wife tells her, well, you know what that means if you have Adirondack chairs in the front of your house. That means you're a swinger. What? And so I'd never heard that. And I said, are you kidding? I, I didn't know that. I always thought pineapple was the symbol of being a swinger. And Rachel said to me, you know, the person we're talking about, the person whose house it is, let's, let's call him Jimmy. <laughs> Single guy, Jimmy. Um, she says, Jimmy has a pineapple flag in front of his house as well. I said, you're kidding. He does? How? She says, yes. How have you never noticed that? So sure enough. He's got Adirondack chairs and a pineapple flag, which now I pass every day and I've taken note of. So I do wonder if there's anything to that. Well, now we all know Jimmy's a swinger. (laughs) Thanks thanks a lot, Frank. Wow. The Adirondack chairs combined with a pineapple flag hanging from his house. Well, now... Curtis, if there's like 10 people in that neighborhood with Adirondack chairs and pineapple flags, Jimmy's safe. And I bet his name is like it's like Jimmy or Timmy. It's like around Jimmy if it's not actually Jimmy. 
Frank's not that good at disguising the name. Wow. See, but this got on a this got on apply to Frank's previous rule because he didn't tell Frank this. Frank just yanked him in. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And notice his fascination with the freaky deaky sexual lifestyles, and then he brings up prostitution, but says, "Not me." Yes, it's not surprising to me that you had a wide variety of people that were willing to pay another adult money to have sex with them. I got news for you. I mean, I've never been with a prostitute, but I've known people that have (laughs) been with prostitutes from every walk of life. Old, young, black, white, rich, poor. I guess this fella, Mr. Perez, expects people to be shocked that folks with ordinary or respectable jobs might try to pay for sex. But all I see here is a federal agency that claims to be about fighting organized transnational crime, spending its time plotting to arrest high school teachers, firefighters, and youth pastors for trying to engage in private and consensual activity. High school teachers, firefighters, and youth pastors involved in sexual activity. And I know it's it's the first time he's mentioned anybody black. And that's what I was about to say. And it has to be the, prostitution. Yeah, leave us out of this one, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first appearance of a black of of, of black people in his in his stories and it's about this. Wait till tomorrow to claim us, Frank. Well, when we come back. <laughs> when we come back, the questions for Shatner. Oh, the questions for Shatner. He labored for hours and hours and hours. He is a groupie of William Shatner, of uh, Captain Kirk, no doubt about it. Frank Morano, who actually hosted two of William Shatner's appearances, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, these last two nights. And apparently we were told by two of the callers who had been there... And when uh, Shatner blew his schnoz into a Kleenex, Frank snatched it up, stuffed it into his pocket protector. Shatner said, you're not going to take that, are you? And Frank said, oh, hell yes, I am. Oh, man. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Do you mind telling me what this is all about, mister? And I've got If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Specially prepared for our edition of The Other Side of Midnight by David Crosby, no longer with us. Uh, That indeed was a great present he bestowed upon me after I went to the mat against Joe Rogan and Spotify and had the back of Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, 
and uh, David Crosby, along with Graham Nash and Stephen Stills, or Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Oh, what a great song. Can you pump that up a little bit more? This is our great theme. Surprised that, uh, Avery, he doesn't have one of the many songs sung by William Shatner as his theme song, Captain James T. Kirk. <laughs> Maybe the worst music I've ever heard in my life, and yet he puts on his Dr. Dre headphones and he listens it on repeat over and over and over. And this was this exciting moment. It worked up to him hosting on stage this past Friday in Englewood, New Jersey, and just hours ago at the Bergen Performing Arts Center, his hero, person he looks up to, idealizes, the person he is a groupie of, Captain James T. Kirk, and better known as William Shatner. And he talked about the preparation that he endured. I'll tell you, though, this Shatner show is going to be something. No joke, I have five hours worth of questions. I'll tell you what my real hope is. So my hope is that Shatner is enjoying this conversation so much that we will be able to just continue to speak, right, and uh, and to go on for, you know, two or three hours. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> well, I just hope that Shatner loves these questions so much that he overlooks the time that you have to leave the building and pays that penalty. And then the crew that's there, he pays them overtime because he has to hear these questions. <laughs> These questions are so riveting, he just has to hear the next one. And remember, from the two people who actually went to his uh, performance, Shatner's performance at the Bergen Performing Arts Center, they say that Frank didn't ask him his own questions. (laughs) He had to read from the cue cards of all of those questions submitted by the audience. That's a shame, man. Frank walked out there with with the giant golden glowing pouch containing these questions. <laughs> I have the questions. Shannon was like, what you doing, Egghead? Just read the questions from the, from the crowd. Let's get out of here. Like, <laughs> Shannon done did too many of these. <laughs> Shannon looking to just get out of there, banging and go. Come on, Frank, man. And then Frank talked about his obsession of cracking his toes, back knuckles, but also strangers, too. I am a notorious everything cracker. It, one of the many compulsions that I have all day long is I will crack my knuckles, I will crack my neck, I will crack my back, I crack my toes. I crack everything on my person that's crackable. And when I say I do it, I don't mean I do it once a day. I do it obsessively, obsessively, all day long I'm I'm doing it. I mean, really, just like crazy. No. He is a good cracker. Oh, boy. And then... uh He talked about how uh, some relationships that he had had before he married Rachel went south because they didn't like the fact that he would try cracking their knuckles, cracking their toes. I am a notorious cracker. (laughs) (laughs) I am a notorious cracker. He is, he is a cracker. <laughs> the brothers would say, yeah, that's quite a cracker there. I am a notorious cracker. Yes, you are. Yeah, but then it gets weird. Yeah. 
talks about how relations went south because of his um, addiction to cracking things. Sometimes I'll crack my wife's knuckle. Oh, boy. Right? And if I've been in relationships over the years with people who did not like cracking. And it was a real problem because, one, it would turn them off when I would do it to myself. But also, they wouldn't let me do it to them. And I don't know what it is. I'm sure Freud in a uh, Nicholas Meyer novel would have a field day with my obsession, with my need to crack not only myself but other people. But I just love it. Hey, hey baby, come here. I- <laughs> You, you, are you, you, you down for a little exploration? Yeah, yeah. Well, what you, what you, I'm going to need you to, to start cracking your knuckles. Cracking my knuckles? Yeah, and I need you to crack your toes too, baby. Oh, my <laughs> God. What a freak. Crack your knuckles. Now crack your toes. Crack your knuckles. Toes. Knuckles. Toes. Knuckles. Toes. Good morrow. <laughs> <laughs> A notorious cracker. <laughs> Good morrow. What a f- I am a notorious cracker. Oh, knuckles, toes. Knuckles. What a freak. Knuckles and toes. Knuckles, toes, toes, knuckles. <laughs> and then, of course, no matter how you try to change the conversation with Frank Morano, it eventually always gets back to William Shatner, Captain Kirk. Are you hoping that you will now become best friends with Bill Shatner? Absolutely. Here's how I envision. Here's how I, envision <laughs> I think you had some sort of plan and vision of how this is going to go. So I've been trying to figure out if he invites me to his house for the Super Bowl on Sunday, how I can make it there for Sunday and then be on the radio for Sunday night into Monday morning. And then... I'm just assuming that he's going to invite me to join him on these shows in Milwaukee and Atlanta. Of course. For all I know, he may already have a moderator in place there. But I'm planning to be there, and I'm already making plans for for his charity horse auction. He's coming back to New York in um, July to go to this Star Trek exhibit in Ticonderoga. And I'm planning to be up there for that now. I'm trying to arrange, see what we can do. Yes. So, yeah, we're practically already best friends already. God, he's obsessed. All this is pre-tissue, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's right. uh, Pre-him snatching up that uh, Kleenex tissue. That changed everything. That Shatner blew his schnoz into. Shatner was going to legally adopt him until he did the tissue. <laughs> Frank, I want to make it official right here. I have all I have all the documents. I want to legally make you my son. Yes! <laughs> A thousand times yes! <laughs> but first, first, you got to denounce your regular family. Family, I denounce thee! <laughs> I am a notorious cracker. Oh, what else? What else, Will? What else? Oh God! <laughs> well, we got to do an intervention. This is like way, and he doesn't realize it when he takes time off to go to Milwaukee and all these Titanga, Titanderoga, whatever, for horse auction that he knows nothing about. I'm going to be substituting, and he's not getting back that time. You know me. You give me an inch. You give me an hour. You give me a minute. You give me a day. You ain't getting it back. Man, you are not getting those days. He is not going to Milwaukee with Shatner, man. (laughs) God, Milwaukee of all places. Anyway, then he's moaning and groaning that they won't print his op-eds about his other obsession, 
Lady in White, Tulsi Gabbard. I wrote what I considered to be a very good op-ed making the case for Tulsi Gabbard to run for president as a third-party or independent presidential candidate. I thought it was very well written, very well argued, and for me, and this is very difficult for me, uncharacteristically short. Wouldn't you know it? I submitted this to The Hill. The, you know, the paper, The Hill. The credible paper. They didn't want to publish it. <laughs> they didn't say why. They said, no, thanks, basically. the I submitted it to the L.A. Times. The credible paper. They didn't want to publish it. So I, I don't know if this is a, a lack of a reflection on my lack of writing ability. Yes. <laughs> or if it's a reflection of these newspapers have an agenda that does not include Tulsi Gabbard. So I'm going to... Maybe pitch it to somewhere else, but uh, I found that I th- I was shocked that one like boom boom they both said no they didn't want to publish it. I mean not not that my writing is so great, but I thought it was worth reading. Eight hundred words. I mean, what does it cost them? Nothing. I wasn't asking to get paid. <laughs> they wouldn't even do it for free. How come you didn't go to the Advance, right? Right there on Staten Island, the Advance. What about the Post? What about the Times? Like, like, he just skipped over his own hometown? Man. <laughs> they probably said no first. <laughs> the Hill, the L.A. Times, and they said no. They said no. Nope. <laughs> who, who are you? You think we can, anybody can just submit stuff to our paper? Uh, anyway, up next. His mother liked it. <laughs> our Valentine's Day hour in advance of that urge to merge. Wait, wait, wait till you hear what I have in store for all of you on this, the better side of the other side of midnight. In my Another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Dedicated to my wife, Nancy.
See, we set the mood for St. Valentine's Day. Notice I say St. Valentine's Day because you can't take that away from the Roman Catholic Church. It is St. Valentine's. I'm sorry. Dedicated to the one I love, Nancy, my wife, the animal welfare expert who you'll be listening to in just a few hours. Uh, In fact, um, I'll be coming back three to five as I normally do on Sunday. So nice. And I flipped the script to it again from uh, nine to 11. And then the most listened to requested and called in of the many shows that I do at WABC, where at times the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour, 11 and 12. And now, in addition, we do a video cast that is exclusive uh, to the YouTube station of WABC, which is Red Apple Media. So you go to YouTube and you type in Red Apple Media and you will see Nancy and I talking about animal welfare issues. The one that's in the can that you'll be looking at is the one in which Nancy is like Bob Vila, you know, doing home fixing. She's fixing up the cat houses for the feral cats and teaching you how to build them from scratch. Really is a great uh, startup. And we'll have a half hour new show every Wednesday that'll be in the can. But anyway, I said to myself, what can I do? Differently than Vinnie Madugno did, who started the uh, entertainment portion at WABC from 5 to 6. Protégé of uh, Cousin Brucie, who uh, was on from 6 to 10. Saturday night, followed by Tony Orlando at dawn. They all dedicated their programs to uh, St. Valentine's Day. I said to myself, okay, uh, what am I going to do knowing that Vinnie Madugno is back 5 to 6 before... uh, the Frank Sinatra two-hour extravaganza hosted by uh, Joe Piscopo, sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. And then, of course, Dina Martin spinning stacks of wax of her father, Dean Martin. Oh, what, what are you going to do? So I figured, <clears throat> why not get somebody talking about life, marriage, relationships? Who's got a lot of cred? And who also has made many, many appearances uh, as such. A man who not only appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show many, many times, the Perry Como Show, that was my mother's favorite, Francesca's favorite. But he emceed President uh, JFK's inauguration in 1961. A regular guest on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, He hosted the Oscars in 1972. So I would say that he has earned uh, that right 
more than many others, uh, to be able to talk about life and love and marriage. In fact, he uh, was a prize fighter for a while. He fought in the ring 20 times until he got his schnoz busted. Then he decided to quit boxing and focus on comedy. He worked as a doorman. He worked all other kind of jobs until uh, his career clicked in comedy. And in the early 1950s, he realized, after watching and observing Danny Thomas, the Lebanese guy, you know, with the big schnoz, Danny Thomas, that uh, when you're doing comedy, you got to speak to the audience. You just don't memorize and spit out lines. You really have to embrace the audience. And the moment he did, he blew up. Who am I talking about? Well... It should be obvious to the cognoscente. It's Alan King. What a great comedian he was. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I want you to listen to Alan King. He speaks about marriage and love and having a wife. And I was doing my wife jokes at the time. This is long before women's lib and the ERA. And while I was doing jokes, I did a joke one night, I said, women live longer than men. And I said, the reason for it is that they're not married to women. Now, it was not a big joke then, just just a part of a story. A woman stood up right about where you are, dear, who was a member of the State Assembly of, the, of Nevada, and this is absolutely true. She started to berate me about me being a male chauvinist pig, and there is no record, there are no recordings, no history, no about women living longer than men. Now, I haven't done this in a long time, and I dug out some of the obituaries that I'd like to do for you now, just to prove this point. Nothing has changed. Good evening. Can we, would you turn around so we can get to a camera? I put my glasses on. When I did this bit 15 years ago, I didn't need the glasses. But this is an obituary. Would you examine it? It's a Xerox copy of an obituary. New York Post, is that correct? That's Nothing correct. I made up. There are seven obituaries. Now, would you just read, without getting personal mentioning the names, what does it say at the bottom of the first obituary? He is survived by his Survived wife. by his wife. Could you read the second obituary over here? What does it say there, dear? He is survived. Survived by his wife. Could you read the third obituary? What does it say? He leaves. He leaves his wife. See, they changed it around so he won't get bored. And this one is, he is survived by his wife. What does this one over here say, dear? He is survived. Survived by his wife. And what does this one say here? He's survived by, and what is, you know God done well with that. Survived by his wife. Here, I want you to have that seven out of seven. Now, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Wait one moment. Good evening. How are you, dear? Those roots are not dead, you know. Wow, blast from the past. You know what they say, Jewish men will die earlier than their wives. I've certainly seen examples of that. Is what Alan King's saying, is it true? 1-800-848-9222, that's 1-800-848-WABC. He continues to extrapolate on love and marriage. Darling... Please, this is the Los Angeles Times. Is that correct? I have nothing up my sleeves. I, Will Rogers said, I only know what I read in the newspapers. Here's the newspaper. Obituary pages, three obituaries, okay? Dr. Carl Sachs, botany expert. Is that correct? Yes. 
How old was he when he died? Can you see that? 81. 81! Professor Emeritus, Harvard University. What does it say at the bottom there? <laughs> he, leaves. he leaves his wife. 81. Okay, now, wait a minute. Next one. Ludwig von Nelda. My sis, 92. Is that correct? Yes. 92. What does it say over there? It survived. Survived by his wife. 92. That's all, just the facts. Okay. Now, read the headline of the next obituary. T.C. Kissner. Retired architect dies at 99. 99! Gave it a hell of a shot, didn't he? What does it say over there, dear? He leaves, he leaves his wife. All right, now, go ahead a minute. Now. I got him in every pot. How are you, darling? This is from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. This was sent to me. In 1983, right here, it says here, West Point's oldest graduate dies. Is that correct, dear? Yes. Nothing I made up. No. Oldest graduate West Point. How old was he when he died? You see that? Can't see. You can't see? <laughs> this is your seeing eye dog? Yeah, put your glass on. It's too important. Does a lot for you. 104. 104? West Point's oldest grad, 104. Is that correct? Right. Died. Okay, now. <laughs> shut up, I'll be back there in a minute. It says here, this man fought in the Spanish-American War, the Boxer Rebellion, the Philip campaign, Philippine campaign against the Moros. He was with Pershing when they gave Pancho Villa a new ass south of the border. Just look at this. World War One night, look at this. Four times he was awarded the Silver Star, is that correct? Yes. Not making this up? No. He received the Distinguished Service Medal and the French Croix de Guerre. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. What does it say at the bottom, dear? Survive. Survived by his wife. A man went up against arrows and bows, flamethrowers and bombs. He beat them all. The only one he couldn't beat was that old broad right there, no matter. Survived by his wife. Now. Good evening. You're not Juliet Prowse, are you? No, you're sitting down. She always moves around. Here is a Xerox. This is going into the Smithsonian Institute. Now, uh, I wonder if I'm scoring brownie points uh, utilizing Alan King's comedy about being married as we uh, we crawl up on uh, Valentine's Day. Well, anyway, he finishes up with an extravaganza. Here is a letter from a young lady who heard me do this many years ago, sent this lovely note. She was a widow, and she said it was the first laugh she had received in years, and I was very grateful about this since her husband died. At the bottom, she enclosed a little piece from a Reuter communique. Would you read it? This is from the newspapers. Could you read what it says there? It says, it end, wife ends all. Read it, please. Mrs. Vera Shermak right. of Prague, Czechoslovakia, right. on hearing that her husband was leaving her for another woman, right. threw herself from a third-story window to end it all. Correct. She was taken to a hospital and soon recovered. Right. Wait a minute! She threw herself out of the third-story window to end it all. Soon recovered. Was it? Her husband, on whom she landed. 
was killed on the spot. This bitch threw us out a window and landed on the old man, and he was wiped out. Now that's it. That's it. Classic. I don't know if it works for Valentine's Day, but it was classic. Bounce this off of Rabbi Joe Potasnik. He said, aces up, five-star top shelf. You know, you sometimes forget how great these Bush Belt comedians uh, were when they were alive and doing their comedy, and uh, he was one of the greatest of all time, no doubt. Alan King apparently was not an easy guy to get along with, but... Uh, when he'd get up and he'd do his improv or he would uh, go to work and do his uh, broadcast, he was as good as they get. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. <laughs> oh, boy. That's right. Got to get ready for Valentine's Day. So uh, got to pull out all the stops, guys. Got to do everything you can possibly do to make amends, maybe for a year in which you were a person of no consequence, a dirtbag, somebody who is uh, ungrateful, you know what. And now, within the course of the next 72 hours, you may have an opportunity at making amends and getting back on track. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Joey, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Hey, Curtis, how you doing? It's good to see you and hear you and Avery. And Alan King was great. He was one of the top ones, I tell you, especially when he had his show. And I, I got to say, you know, I think you should have the gangster of love there, Frank Marano on, and uh, let's see what his love tips are, because you and Avery had me in stitches. I mean, I could just picture him. Like in the movie that Burt Reynolds was in, Stripper, when he was with all the Vaseline and he had the uh, the lint from the dryer and he was pleasuring himself. I could see Frank Morano doing that with the Captain Kirk tissue. I mean, he's a sick dude, man. You <laughs> imagine? Love you, just if anybody happens to be joining us, what Joe is uh, referring to is that uh, Frank had the dream of a lifetime. He was extended an opportunity to host William Shatner, Captain Kirk, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, had two appearances. One that William Shatner made Friday night in Englewood, the second one at the Bergen Performing Arts Center just a few hours ago. And halfway through his performance, he uh, asked Frank for a Kleenex. He took it out of the box. He blew his schnoz. He put it down on the uh, desk. Frank snatched it up, Joe, and stuck it in his pocket protector and uh, Shatner looked at him incredulously and said, you're not going to keep that Kleenex, are you? And Frank said, oh, hell yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> and I could just see him say, you know, can I crack your knuckles? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's going to go to the next convention. Shatner, he's going to be bored. <laughs> Shatner, cra- Shatner cracked his knuckles and Frank had to walk to the back for a second. I am a notorious cracker. <laughs> God, I wonder. I wonder if if, if 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 Captain Kirk has a pineapple on his house, the flag, as well as an Adirondack chair. Hey, Frank, know all that stuff, but he's never done any of it. Yeah, I know. Avery he, is he, too he, much. He, he could walk he you. Guys he, had 
He could walk you through every all of all of the, the all of the depraved uh, like groups and like practices of the city, but he's never done anything. He just knows about oh, all of it. Yeah, he's an expert, boy. He, I tell you, I you am guys. a notorious cracker. <laughs> that's his that's his nickname in the underground. <laughs> He goes to he goes to Plato's retreat. He starts cracking everybody's toes. Frank at hedonism. Nuts and some of the guys nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I can see him at Plato's retreat. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, well, wait, oh, wait, you what you doing here? What you doing here, Frank? I'm doing nothing. I'm just drinking a drink. <laughs> Frank, you can't be in all these spots and just keep claiming that you don't do anything. Oh, God. I got to tell you, he doesn't recognize what he's saying. And the moment those words drip from his lips, Avery is just, like, absorbing all of it and just regurgitating it on the weekend. Yeah, I'm telling you. I, I, I wonder if John ever, Testamentini's ever really listens to some of the stuff he says. Hey, come, hey, come here. Come. Saying, hey, that guy is sick. Hey, come here. Crack your toes for me real fast, baby, before you leave, before you go to work. Come here, that's, that's the good stuff. You know how I like it. Oh, yeah. Do it, do, it like, do it like I taught you. Do it like I taught you. Don't do it like that. Do it like I taught you. <laughs> I am a notorious cracker. (laughs) There you go. There you go, lady. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. You, you love the hell I move you. You love the hell I touch you, my one. When all is said and done, you believe God is a woman. And I, I feel it after midnight. I feel It's going to be his new obsession. Ariana Grande was the uh, flower in the eye of Bill Clinton, if you remember, at the wake and funeral of Aretha Franklin. 
Bill Clinton said he didn't even know he was sitting next to Schooly Louis Farrakhan and Al Slim Shady Sharpton because he was oogling Ariana Grande at that time. And now Frank has been going around of late on his show, The Other Side of Midnight, talking about how God is a woman, just like this song suggests. You know, anything to cultivate the attention of somebody he desperately wants to interview. And I can't click it off any uh, more emphatically. Tulsi Gabbard, right? She's all over television. Frank Morano can't score a interview with her. He's promoting her to become the next president of the United States as a third-party candidate. She won't give him an interview. Selena Gomez, right there on 86th Street, she's doing that uh, show for Hulu. Uh, she always walks past Frank Morano. She won't even give him the time of day in order to do an interview. And then, of course, you had Cinema, uh, the U.S. Senator from Arizona. The moment he heard that Cinema was bisexual and he saw her at the State of the Union address looking like Big Bird with that stupid yellow dress on, he like he was obsessed. He calls like 20 times a day trying to get an interview. Enough, Frank. Stop. And now the latest is Ariana Grande. When will her agent uh, call WABC and say, no mas, no mas, enough is enough. Would you tell this guy to stop? He's like a stalker. And then who is this? Uh, Diana Falzone, right? Oh, my God, Avery, what was that about? She's on a magazine cover. She's 40 years old, and he's going gaga, goo goo. She's like a startlet of old, you know, from the old movie magazines. God, he gets all worked up. Our number is 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Let's go to Tony calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. Hi, my guy. How are you? Okay. Uh, everybody talk about how good is New York, Brooklyn, everything, and I love that because I came 61 years ago to the East Harlem, in the East Side here, El Barrio, and you know, Tiro Puente was from here. Tiro Puente. Eri Palmieri, Charlie Palmieri, and uh, we can talk so much about how much we can uh, cooperate here in the United States. And help the media and everybody. Now let and me ask you. Let me ask you a question about the music. Uh, were you a follower of the Fania All Stars? Oh my God! I'm going to tell you something. It was like 15, 20 years ago, and I'm married with my second wife from Ecuador, and uh, she likes us a little bit. And I heard in the radio the All Star Fania Star, and I said, "Honey, let's go to Madison Square Garden." And, oh, my God, from the beginning to the end, she loved it. And I love the funny old style, of course. Oh, Hector Lavoy! Hector Lavoy! Yes. Condita! Condita! Yes, Ella Cruz, Tiro Puente. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Wow, Tony, you're a real connoisseur of music. No, I I love lots of things, sports. Remember, I compete in the five continents of the United States. No drugs, no, stero, no steroids, with asthma, and I won. Wow, with asthma? With asthma and blind, because I became blind after I was uh, successful in business. 
I will supervise them for Kifu supermarket, but then I have to go on sports. And somebody discovered me that I was so strong, and they told me, powerlifting, say, power, what? And I mastered the sport. I went to UCLA. I went to New Jersey. I went to Canada, Europe, Australia. I got the triple crown in Australia. Wow. You're like a world... You, can, you, you know, you can look at my story there in the, in the Internet, Tony Powerlifting, and, you know, you can find it, Tony Melendez. And I'm, I'm a motivation speaker for, the, you know, for everybody. I went to the Olympic Training Center, and I, I'm very proud of what I did. Now I'm married too, and I'm still going on. Why not? I have to give what I get like you. And I'm devoted to this. God gave me those gifts. And I know it. You know, I did 400-pound squat. 400-pound squat? Now, look, I, I wrote the numbers. 400-pound squat, right? In, in squat. Now, 450 deadlift. Deadlift? Now, what, what, what keeps your family jewels from falling to the ground? <laughs> look at that. Then 200 pounds on bench, so it was 1,000 pounds in every competition. Wow. I have 148 pounds, and I was 44 years old when I retired. Wow, that's incredible. Now, so got, the, they got me all over the world, Channel 2, 4, 5, Christina, Don Francisco, all over the place. And uh, they got my stories, a diary, all of them, in newspapers. And I want the people to know that I, I fool around, but I, I have very, very serious when about the United States and God bless America that I had the chance to become what I did. Like you, I never went, I didn't went to, I didn't finish my high school, but I came here, left washing the floor of a supermarket in Woodhaven Boulevard. Then I became uh, a grocery man, then a, a manager, then I retired because I couldn't take any more. My blind was, I almost died myself in the, in, in the speedway because my eyes were bad. Yes. But, Yes. God is good. Now, God question, good. question, Tony. Uh, is it true in your thought process that music uh, will actually bring people together? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll tell you why. Because it could be any kind of music. I love all music. My yes, I, I play the guitar and I sing. Okay? And then let me tell you, oh, because I, I train in, the, in McBurney YMCA, 23rd Street. One of these days, come around, come to my house. My wife have here like a museum of all my achievements. Maybe you can take something, 10, 15 minutes of my life. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, now, does your wife make uh, a good con arroz habichuelas? Of course. And of it has course. to be a good chuleta right on top. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Uh, but, you know, no, let me say, let me be truth. I don't eat fried food. Mm. Okay? I am very, very special about that. I get up in the morning at 3 o'clock because I go to, we go to bed at 6. I have my 8 hours. I get up. I come to my, because I have a two-level apartment here in the East River. And I have a gym here. I go to the gym. I do, today I did uh, a few how you call it, to to feel in shape, bodybuilding a little bit. And I do my heavy meal now at 4 o'clock in the morning. I just ate today. Now, 10 o'clock 
It is like a lunch, my second one. My third one is at 3 o'clock, almost nothing. Uh, oatmeal or farina, something like that. And that's the way we keep a lot of healthy food. But once in a while, of course, uh-huh. the good chuleta is good once in a while. So once in a while, a chuleta. Eh? Yes, sir. But most of, most of the time is um, chicken cutlets, you know. Yeah, but no, no pineal, no pineal. That's no good for you, Tony, once at your age. In a, once in a blue, blue, uh, blue little roasted pork, a little bit, little bit. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you what we got every day: broccoli, celery, cauliflower, oh, roman lettuce, oh. uh, carrots. Oh, <laughs> you don't like that, huh? Oh, very much. Uh, now, what do you oh. wash it down with, Tony? Do you have that Bacardi One Fifty? No. Ah, no way, my God. Cranberry juice sometimes. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, you got that prostate control, right, with the, the cranberry oh, I juice. Am, I am a motivational speaker. I know. I learned how to eat from Gabe Merkin books. I heard, I read that book. Not read it because I heard a video, a video book a long time ago before I met my wife. And they, the name of the book is Eat to Win. Now, with that book in mind, occasionally when you get up and you're hungry, do you ever have mafungo or mangu? <laughs> uh, they invited me to the television show in, in Dominican Republic. And I went there to a place in, in front of the Haragua Hotel. And what I got, mafungo, not even in Puerto Rico. Wow. Not even in Puerto Rico. It's, it's a good one. I went to Puerto Rico with my wife in, by the Concha Hotel, and then we asked for mofongo, and they said, yeah, mofongo with, uh, with uh, octopus. I said, no, no, that's, are you crazy? What is this? <laughs> now you see all the Dominicans, they get on the ferry, they come to Puerto Rico, and they don't go back. Of course. How can you go back? Because Puerto Rico is the United States, and the United States is the best, the best the best of them all. Now, do you ever, Tony, do you ever listen to Bad Bunny? Bad Bunny. Yes. Oh, so you like Bad Bunny? No, no, I heard everything. But I don't enjoy it because what this is, you have to know a little bit of everything like you because you can have a show with them. I don't have, I don't buy no no, no music from him, reggaeton, nothing from Big Daddy, this and that and that. But, a lot of people, my my daughters, my, you know. Oh, there it is. Oh, I could just see your hips swinging there. <laughs> I can see that, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, but if you take to me, I you know I like uh, uh, Tom Jones. Hey. Oh, you do? Of course. Wow. I know that it's late, that must really must leave you alone. But I know it's late. Man, let me tell you something. What a crooner you are. What a crooner, Tony. Tony. Wow. La Lupe. Yeah, Condita. And, of course, Hector Lavoy. Our number is one 800 Eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Harry in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Harry. Hey, Curtis. Finally got got through to talk to you. Guess I have to work more at night 
more night jobs. I met you once in Coney Island with my wife, who had passed. I'm a Coney Island guy. My who lives on Staten Island now. My wife was originally a uh, Canarsie girl, but Glenwood. He stayed in first between Glenwood and Farragut. Sure. And when I was going out with a the diner on the corner up there, but what was that? What was that diner that you guys had over there in Canarsie? Um, well, anyway. So one time we're going to the diner, so she says to me, listen, if these guys come up to me and they're real friendly and they say hello, do not get upset, you know, or do anything stupid. And they used to hang out at the bar. Those were your your guys that you that they just made the movie about, the Hester and Center and those boys. Oh, yeah, Gemini Lounge. Yeah, when they make, right. And that was their crew, and they used to hang out in this diner. So they go in, they say hello to my wife. And my wife used to tell me stories about it, and it ended up being true. And uh, she also knew the kid Crazy Sal. That was a, You guys came from a pretty crazy neighborhood. I'm oh, completely. You, I, you see, I've always said, uh, Harry, Kanashi was the greatest place in the world to get up because you were exposed to the worst of the worst, but also the best of the best. So, for instance... Uh, the community was divided in two. It was like uh, part Jewish, part Italian. The Jews had come in from Brownsville. The Italians had escaped from East New York. They decided not to continue out to Long Island or go to the Jersey Shore, Staten Island, or Florida. And so they were they they were holding the line. I learned so much from the Jews about education and the importance of reading and uh, sticking it out in school. And with the Italians, I learned to be very tough. Because they right. did not leave. They did not move. They 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 took no guff. They were ready to throw down with anybody. Well, you're, you're a little like me in my background. My mother was Jewish. My father was Greek and Italian. And uh, you had to be tough because you got abused about it from both ends. It was rough. But I'll tell you what, growing up, it was the greatest childhood. I lived on the beach on 33rd Street. Unbelievable! But I got to ask you something. Sure. Did you, you, wait, did you really? Did you ever? Did you ever really give these guys a couple of smacks? Did you? Get yeah, them? yeah. Remember, I got uh, a few years on them. So this is before they hooked up uh, with Roy oh, DeMeo, uh, and then right. they started stealing cars, not for joy rides. When I knew them. We'd go on joy rides, you know. They they stole them from Middleman Cadillac. Yeah, you go on, you go underneath the dashboard. You hook the wires up. You took it for a joy ride, and then you parked the car. You didn't damage it, and then uh, the precinct would call up the person and say, "Hey, uh, we found your car," uh, and it was all intact. But what happened was they met Roy DeMeo across the street from South Shore High School. It was like a mobile station there in Burger King. And he started uh, planting uh, corn kernels in their ears and telling them, hey, look, you guys, why knock yourself out joyriding around? Hey, look, I got makes and models here that are in demand. You go out at night, you know, you're nocturnal. You go out at night, you bring these over to Avenue D. And he gave them addresses. And I tried to talk them out of it, especially Anthony Centaur and Joey Tester, who were inseparable. That's why they got their nickname the Gemini Twins, and they'll be featured in this movie. I actually saw the trailer from the director-producer uh, on Friday. I'll be going to the screening on Monday because I knew most of these guys, not all of them. But they they ended up becoming complete psychotic killers 
When I knew them, I taught them stickball. I taught them street smarts. We used to run into the fields. We called them the lots. This is before the subdivisions. And then once they hooked up with Roy DeMeo and the older Italian guys who never worked a day in their life, you know, they had uh, uh, calluses on their ass, never on their hands. And then all of a sudden they started scheming with them. And I couldn't even have a conversation with them because all they were talking about was stealing cars, getting cocaine, and chasing skirts. That was their whole life. Stealing cars, sniffing cocaine, chasing skirts, and in between, killing like up to 100, and pe- 100 people and Khashoggiing them, chopping them up, putting them in the hefty trash bags, and dumping them in the Fountain Avenue dump. I mean, that's what their whole life became. Right. I know. Well, you did really good for yourself, and I just want to say you're you're wonderful, but I miss Bernie. Yeah, no, no, we all do. Uh, Bernard McGurk, uh, although um, a little light into the McGurk family, uh, on Thursday, a baby boy was born uh, to um, his family uh, with a little dimple just like Bernie, nine pounds, his grandson. Uh, to carry on the legacy, to carry on the tradition. Great news from the McGurk family. Well, it was bit of, that's bittersweet, and that's great for the family. And I just I just wanted to say, you know, the movie theater in in Canarsie, I saw the first Rocky in there with my wife. And like I said, I was not used to that neighborhood. And every word when Rocky was beating up Apollo Creed, the whole movie theater, those crazy maniacs in that area, they were using the N-word, like it was a real fight. I go, these guys are so stupid. Oh, yeah, but remember, Harry, in those neighborhoods, if you had two white guys fighting, you would attract the crowd. If you had two black guys fighting, you would attract the crowd. But if you had a black guy fighting a white guy, it was standing room only. Standing room only, because both sides would show up. And, I mean, they'd be cheering their their fighter on, you know, whether it was bare knuckles, whether it was street fighting. They were, they were rooting Rocky and I'm like he was from the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it was the Italian stallion, Stallone. But, you see, uh, the fights got vicious. I mean, guys would have garrison belts. They'd pull out that garrison belt. Boy, they hit you with that belt. You'd end up getting a concussion. they pull a shiv on you. There were no rules and regulations. They would jap you. You know, this idea, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna fight you man to man, you know. Uh, they don't even look at you. They come up behind you. You didn't even know they were there. Bang! Right over your head. They hit you with a bat, stomping on you. The next thing you know, you're sucking concrete. Yep. Anyway, i got to ask you one last question. Sure. All my friends, I'm 65. I'm going to be 66 in May. All my buddies... I just retired myself. I just did a side job tonight. I drove the limo, a couple of DJs to Philly and back. I just got in. Let me ask you something. Is this because I got grandchildren now? My my son, my daughter, they bought houses on Staten Island. Is it is it is it ever gonna any simulation? Is anything gonna come back to normal in this city, or is it dead? No, Harry, uh, the history of the city is it gets worse before it gets better. And we're in the process now of getting worse. Uh, and then it really has to hit rock bottom. And then all of a sudden people wake up. 
Uh, but in the interim, I'm sure you're seeing out there in Staten Island, as I'm seeing all over the five boroughs, a lot of people are leaving. They're leaving. Yeah. Yes. And I, I was, you know, I, I retired. You know, my, my wife has been gone a while now, passed away. Uh, I mean, it's it's just it, it's just not the same. And I, I feel bad for the kids. I mean, I'm, you know, us. Like I said, I had the greatest childhood. I mean, my mother used to stick her head out the window in Coney Island Projects and say, go ahead, go to the beach. I was six years old by myself. You don't have to worry about nothing. And the whole neighborhood watched out for you. That's so true. It's so true. And that's why I say, people say to me, well, you know, you saw the good, the bad, and the ugly in Canarsie. I said, absolutely. And it was the best thing that could ever happen for me because it toughened me up. Uh, I was able to go into any neighborhood, deal with any kind of people, and not show any fear. Uh, so I could walk across Linden Boulevard and go into Brownsville, predominantly black, East New York, predominantly Puerto Rican, have no fear, even though uh, you were taking great risk. Because when the sun went down, you better get out of that part of town or they turn you into a speed bump. And then also to learn all the con jobs because you would recognize who was on the up and up and who was a shyster, who was a con man, who was trying to rip you off, run a game on you. Uh, again, you just had to survive. You had to avoid becoming a casualty. Uh, and the way you did that, you just didn't use the cocaine. You didn't drink. That's why I stayed out of those bars. As much as I knew about all the Jadrules, the knuckle-draggers, the Gavones, who went to the Gemini Lounge, Harry, I never went into the Gemini Lounge because instinctually I knew that if I went in there, everybody starts knocking back drinks. You can't just sit there and uh, nurse a drink. You got to drink because you got to prove you're a man. Hey, what's the matter? You're not drinking? And then somebody yeah. wants to come up to you and act like a tough guy. Somebody who out in the street would never, ever come up to you. And then you got to make a decision in that moment. Do I hurt this guy in the bar? He's got all his friends here. And then they're going to put boots to the back of my head. Do I leave, which would be cowardly? Do I try to talk my way out of this, which sounds like you're weak and soft? So that's why I always try to avoid gin mills and bars. I always tell people I don't like going into gin mills and bars. You always got some guy wants to come up, shake your hand, and put you in a vice grip. And then it's like, who's going to be stronger? Who's going to be tougher? And uh, I avoided the bars. I avoided the bars as often as I could. You got to admit, though, they kept the neighborhoods in order, though. Everybody told the line you didn't have to worry about. This shit that's going on now, and you knew, you know, you knew who they were. You just, like you said, stay away out of the trouble. Don't, but you knew who they were, and they kept they they kept the neighborhood straight. So look what happened. They all went to jail, got locked up, bookmaking, numbers running. Government put them all in jail, and now, now look who runs the show with all that shit. Yep. 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 It's uh, it's a whole different world. That's why uh, I'll have an opportunity along with um, Sid Rosenberg, who actually is in the movie Gemini Lounge. I would recommend everybody go and see it. I'm sure it's a brutal movie because these guys ended up becoming very brutal. But what I could see in the trailer, in the two minute trailer, it was very well done. I was very impressed. 
Now, trailers oftentimes don't necessarily indicate how good a movie is. Uh, many times we've seen trailers. I'm sure some of you out there have seen a trailer and you're disappointed when you see the movie. Uh, but I'm very interested in seeing Gemini Lounge, the screening on Monday night with Sid and a lot of the people who are part of that production and some of my enemies who uh, continue their affiliation with the Lucchese's and the Gambinos who had Canarsie divided up back then. And trust me, they were my enemies then. They're my enemies now. And when all of a sudden I'm off this plane, if I ever meet up with a lot of my enemies again, it's going to be a rumble, whether I'm down in hell without an asbestos suit in a place they call purgatory, or if I'm lucky enough to get through the pearly gates and be in a place that they call heaven. Another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. You broke my heart because I couldn't dance. You didn't even want me around. And now I'm back to let you know I can really shake them down. Contours. You imagine uh, Frank Morano having that kind of conversation uh, with his lovely wife, Rachel, in advance of uh, St. Valentine's Day on Tuesday. By the way, I am predicting that the uh, Philadelphia Eagles will crush the Kansas City Chiefs. I hate the Eagles, but I look at that defensive line and they're killers. But because the uh, Philadelphia Eagle fans are maniacs, they have brought in the Philly 1,540 gallons of a lubricant infused with cheese whiz ahead of the Super Bowl. And putting it on all the city's street and traffic lights and utility poles so the rowdy fans can't climb them while out celebrating their home team. Can you imagine if Frank Morano were walking around and he smelled the cheese whiz? He's addicted to cheese. To him, it's like an aphrodisiac. <laughs> I could see him licking the utility poles, sniffing the utility poles. Might want to do that around here with that. Wow. It'll never leave. Exactly. <laughs> I am a notorious cracker. <laughs> We know that, Frank. We know that. By the way, he is in seventh heaven. Having been on a stage with his hero, he uh, is involved in a form of idolatry. Uh, his guru, uh, Captain Kirk, uh, William Shatner. Uh, one night, Friday night, he uh, was with him for two hours. And then uh, just a few hours ago, he was with him uh, for two hours. And he's like... 
He, he couldn't be any higher. It's like a natural high, a mood elevator for a guy who's always got dark clouds hanging over his head. I think something happened, man. How do you explain the tissue move on the second day? You don't do that. You don't do that if, if, if you're not worried about, like, offending them. The tissue move is a big move, Curtis. Yeah, well, uh, Shatner requested a tissue out of the Kleenex <laughs> box. Frank provided it. And then as soon as uh, William Shatner blew his schnozola in the Kleenex, Frank, for some weird reason, picked up the tissue paper and stuffed it in his pocket protector. And then Shatner said to him, you're not going to keep that, are you? He said, absolutely I am. Yeah. I'm telling you, he said, this is the I'm not going to meet. I'm not going to meet Shatner again for I don't know how long I'm taking this tissue. This guy's, this guy's a freak. That's what I'm saying, man. What the hell is he going to do with that tissue? If he had, like, more dates to do with Shatner, you think he would grab his used tissue on stage? Well, he's talking about going to Milwaukee with Shatner and going on the road with Shatner, which means he's going to have to take time off here at WABC. <laughs> I mean, he's got a he's got a program that's syndicated across the nation. And you know what's going to happen if he goes on the road with Shatner? I end up taking his time, and he ain't getting it back. And he's coming home to an empty house. <laughs> it's what I told him, look, if you quit your job to follow Shatner around, we will not be here when you get back. <laughs> but he's like that. He treats Shatner, Captain Kirk, like he's his guru. Whatever Shatner says, Frank does. It's really scary to see. Under the guise. It's almost like we got to do almost like um, I don't know other way of describing it. It's almost like taking him for an exorcism to get him out of this trance, this love of Shatner. It's like he's the father that he, he always wanted. Carmine, step aside. I want William Shatner. Captain Kirk is my daddy. I told you in a second, if Shatner told him to do it, he would denounce his whole family. God, he would. You're right. <laughs> Man, to be continued, I'm sure Frank's going to talk about this upon his return.